Hi, my name is Colton Wilkie. I'm the lead actor in Thunderbird, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that, for the moment, is not planning to launch its own streaming service. But we're open. One day it may happen. November has been and gone. Well, not as we record, but it has been and gone for all intents and purposes. So we're here to discuss the usual news and trailers that appeared in November. And weirdly, we're actually recording on the last day of November, so we won't be scooped by things that appear in the last couple of days like usual. Joining me for this, he is sick to death of being asked if he's in the new Spider-Man movie. He's not and doesn't want to hear any more about it. It's Aaron. Wow, that makes me sound like I'm important. Not, but I am here. So, yeah. Here and not in the new Spider-Man movie. That's your story that you're sticking to. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do not expect to see Aaron in Spider-Man No Way Home when you watch it in the cinema, unless you happen to be in the same cinema that he is in watching the film, in which case you will see him. This is a very technically accurate podcast. Are we always that way? Technicalities are good because they're facts. You can't dispute facts or the suggestion of facts. But anyway, we're digressing here. So let's just start with the usual, what we've been watching. Have you been watching anything? I have. I've been watching... Dexter with Laura and actually enjoying it because they've reset it back to the old style plot lines before it went totally nuts. And I've been watching Wheel of Time and Hawkeye and enjoying both of those. Good month, really. Cool. So you've been doing those things. Dexter, I've not heard much about. I know they brought it back. I know the finale of the old Dexter was disappointing for pretty much everyone. I imagine someone liked it because... That's just the way things are. Everyone's least favourite thing is someone's most favourite thing, so it will be. But, yeah, so you think it's a return to form? Uh, yes, yeah, I do. They've put in an obvious plot line that I won't spoil for people who haven't seen it. But despite it being an obvious plot development, it was expected for the character, and it's not a bad one, it's an interesting one. And then, they've, as I say, stylistically, they've put it back towards the sort of early or mid-seasons into what he has to deal with. So it's... Definitely back to form. Cool. Okay. That's good to hear. Obviously, it's good to hear that you're enjoying it. We won't go too much into detail because spoilers. We don't really want to be spoiling things for people that might not have seen it yet or whatever. But yeah. Anything else been on your watching radar that you happen to have consumed with your eyeballs? Well, I will mention Wheel of Time just because most fantasy adaptions are just awful. Over years of watching them since I was a kid, you always see fantasy books adapted with real low budget or not much care, as if to say, we're adapting it because it's someone's passion project, but we're not really prepared to spend money on it. We're doing it because we have to. They, they always just come across as a bit naff, you know, rubbish humour, not really seeming that important. And they never really seem to have any quality to them, but somebody seems to have put quite a lot of effort into Wheel of Time. I don't know the books. I've not read them because you don't read Wheel of Time. You commit to it. It's that massive. <laughs> so I don't have that perspective. 
but if I just think of it as a fantasy adaption, I'm pleasantly surprised at the amount of effort they've put into developing some quality. Cool. I was reading that the producers or showrunners or whoever have five seasons mapped out, which I suppose is just five books, I guess, as you're outlined. You're lucky. I mean, just the size of this thing, just to get that, they could easily just do five early on, I'm pretty sure, given the size of the story, but that will not be the end of it. Do you know The Wheel of Time? I don't know. I don't really know much about it. I saw the trailer for this adaptation and that's about it. The author wrote loads of books died before he could finish it his son's taken over and it's still going there is no way they are doing the wheel of time without knowing the story it's hard to know but i assume they'll pick some part of it and be satisfied or maybe if it's really popular they'll keep going because unlike game of thrones the material has been written they'll struggle to overtake that well you never know yeah. might take them 20 years but they might overtake it <laughs> Okay, well, for me, I've been watching a lot of stuff, actually. Something we both watched, I'll talk about first, Eternals. Marvel's Eternals, we saw that. Mm. And we have a podcast about it that may or may not be out by the time this is out, I don't know. The Sparknotes version is, I quite liked it, but had issues. Sparknotes being a good old UK resource that people used to use to pretend they'd read books to write essays on them. No before pod. Technically accurate. Yeah, technically accurate. But you saw Eternals too. Would you agree with my... I know what you think because I was on the podcast with you, but just tell the listeners. They don't know. Yes, I said pretty much the same as you, although I want to go on record here as saying that even though I'm known across this particular podcast set for being not necessarily as positive as everybody else, I tried the hardest on Eternals to be positive. It was definitely you that was the dark side. On record, Don Stamp. I'll accept that. I also saw Ghostbusters Afterlife, which I found to be a really frustrating example of everything that's wrong with franchise revivals, without actually hating it, weirdly. I thought it was okay, but it annoyed me all the reverence it has for essentially what was a really good film that came out in the late 80s. Yeah, I've not seen it. The whole concept of exorcism, but as pest control, was just this really simple, high-concept idea that worked really well as a film at that point. And it seems to have gained this, as I say, reverence. People worship it in a way. And the subsequent attempts to bring it back seem to lean into that. And I just wasn't really here for it. I wanted a bit more from it. Again, it's the same issue as The Force Awakens or what I might say about The Matrix when that comes out later this month. December, as in the listening month rather than the recording month. But it's that. Let's let's kind of do the same again, but change it up a little bit and kind of bored of that i don't really want that audiences obviously do because these things make a load of money but not necessarily for me most of the time so yeah and as another soulless franchise revival not that ghostbusters was necessarily soulless although ghosts souls something was soulless something died and lost its soul and that's what ghost did but watched home sweet home alone the latest attempt to have a young child brutalize some criminals in a film it was dreadful when i tweeted out the review the blurb I put was don't watch this just watch the original and I stand by that because it is awful the kid is an entitled unlikable rich kid the jokes are not funny it just should not have been made basically as far as I'm concerned I mean people got paid to be in it which is great for them I suppose but I hated it I've managed to avoid seeing all of them so I wouldn't even be able to compare it I watched Encanto another Disney thing Disney musical thing it's okay it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be but I quite liked it for the most part. Kind of killed an afternoon at the cinemas. So I enjoyed that to some degree. The songs weren't very good, which for a musical makes it 
a bit difficult to access. Another one that you're picking all the ones I've not seen, I guess. Yeah, no, I'm just just listing stuff. In terms of TV, I've been watching Star Trek's both Discovery and Prodigy. Discovery has gotten off to a really good start for season four. I'm pleasantly surprised by it, based on the trailers just not grabbing me beforehand, as I discussed with Chris on a couple other previous podcasts. But I've been really enjoying it because they've been focusing less on the end of the universe stuff and using it as a backdrop to enable some really engaging character stuff. So I'm really enjoying that to begin with. And it's feeling very Star Trek-y in a lot of ways, which obviously appeals to me. I dropped Discovery for that reason because I was just not into the whole massive scale anymore. It didn't feel like a Star Trek. I mean, it, there's that argument of, is Discovery Star Trek? But that's just a can of worms you don't want to open. If I stay away from that and just say I wasn't enjoying the level of where the, the plot was at. And then I tried to come back in the following season with all the opening bit where we're sort of stuck on a planet and that everything's wrong and random and weird. Then it just became average sci-fi to me and I still couldn't connect with it. So I've, I've lost my way with Discovery, I have to admit. Fair enough, yeah. I've also been watching Star Trek Prodigy, which I'm really enjoying. It's geared at younger viewers. It's that kind of animated show that doesn't talk down to its audience. Obviously, it's imparting Star Trek values and it's using the Janeway hologram character to essentially teach these younger characters how to Star Trek, effectively. Yeah, that's your setup. It's for young viewers. It's to give them that entry point into the franchise but as an older viewer i don't feel alienated by any of it i'm really enjoying the ride i like the characters i like what they're doing with everything just very very good so maybe you'll enjoy that if you ever give it a go it's worth a shot i would say i haven't watched it i may do unfortunately it's one of those things that's just going to go to the back of a watch list and practically probably never be reached but it sounds like it's doing a really good thing and i think if i had kids as a star trek fan it would be as you say a great jumping off point that like a would be pleased if I could watch it with them. So full marks for that if it's working alone. Oh yeah, definitely. And it's a 20 minute thing, so it's maybe something you can slot in and amongst other things. Apart from the first two episodes, it was a feature length 40 minute thing. It could just be a, a side thing if you're interested. I would definitely recommend it. I'm really enjoying it and I'm looking forward to seeing more of it. I'm still keeping up with the Arrowverse. Legends, Flash, Batwoman, they're all on. Well, Legends is on hiatus at the moment, but they're all intermittently on and off. And they've been good this season for the most part. Legends is back on form. Not that it was ever off form, but it was back on a higher form than it was last season. The Flash, the first couple of episodes were actually pretty watchable, which is very, very high praise for The Flash these days because it's usually unwatchable. So there we go. Well, it's not unwatchable because I'm still watching it, but I question why I do every time I press play. So... There it is. But Batwoman's been pretty good. I dropped it as a review because it was just clashing on a day with other stuff and I just couldn't do it for my own level of sanity. So it, it had to go, I'm afraid. But I'm enjoying it. In a way, I'm probably responding better to it because I'm just watching it rather than having to dissect it immediately after. I'm watching another sitcom, actually, called Ghosts, which is apparently a remake of a British show of the same name that I've not seen. But the premise is basically this couple move into an inherited old house and it's full of ghosts and she has a near-death experience which means she sort of pierces the veil and she can interact with these ghosts there's one that's a viking there's one that's a 80s business guy who died while not wearing trousers and so on there's various other character cliches i suppose that make up these ghosts it's not great 
but I'm enjoying it enough to stick it on while I'm making lunch or something like that. It's one of those types of shows. And it's got Rose McIver in it, who I loved from iZombie. So she keeps me watching because she's always very good at what she does, even in, let's face it, subpar material like this. I don't know what that makes me in terms of a discerning viewer, but like I say, 20 minutes while I'm making lunch or something, it fills that time. I don't know it. If you'd have said rent a ghost, I would totally have understood and been a part of that, but I actually don't know. Ghost. I don't think you'd like it. Shame it's not rent ghost though. I would have been totally up for a rebuild of that. That is an old reference, by the way. For anybody who's listening who's half my age, that is a massively old reference. It'll happen. Disney will probably do it. Oh. <laughs> they do everything else. They revive everything else. Another thing I saw at the cinema was the director's cut of Rocky Four, where Stallone re-edited it, put in some footage that was cut, changed the tone and so on. I'm glad I saw it, but it's not better than the original. At least not to me. The original Rocky Four for me is this schlocky, fun... 80s feel-good movie with a weird robot in it. If you haven't seen it, you'd have to see it to believe it. The director's cut was an interesting curiosity to sit and watch, but I don't think I'll ever watch it again. I'll go back to the original whenever I want to watch Rocky IV. This one, great as an idea. We had a long discussion about the Snyder cut and about how something that's very different to the released version can be something interesting to look at, but at the same time, Maybe you don't want to see that version. In the case of the Snyder Cut, I think we unanimously agreed this is the better version, but it's fine. Stallone had nothing to do during lockdown. He decided to do this, and then we got to see it, so there's really no harm in that. Well, no, if you're totally into something, seeing some extra spin on it is probably always going to be welcome. Why not? Yeah, and then it doesn't kill the original version, so you can discard it if you want, which I probably will, to be perfectly honest. And lastly, the thing that I have watched, surprising ongoing listeners of this particular podcast, I watched a Netflix movie. I watched the film Tick, Tick, Boom, which is a musical about Jonathan Larson, the guy who wrote Rent, who died very young. And that's possibly a spoiler for the film, but it's also his life. He was a real person and he died young. But the film is about him starting his progression towards embracing his creativity. So he quits his job and he focuses full-time on writing musicals because he wants to write a musical. It's got Andrew Garfield in it. He is great in the role. The music is good. The story is great. It hits really hard at the end. I was actually surprised by how deeply it affected me at the end of the film. It just was gripped from start to finish, and I'm very, very glad I watched it. It deserves all the accolades it's getting, and I would definitely recommend checking it out. Make time for it because it is worth making time for. Mm, well, fair enough. I was a bit disappointed that it didn't have anything to do with Will Smith's Boom Shake the Room, but nonetheless, I'll give it a shot. No, it's named after a musical that Jonathan Larson wrote that isn't Rent, I believe. It's just a snappy title, really. The, the film isn't necessarily about those musicals, it's more about the creative journey and how difficult that can be, and it's very interesting. Yeah, so, definitely give it a go if you get the chance. It's on Netflix, so it's not going anywhere, at least for now. Have you got anything to plug for the final listeners before we move on to discussing some trailers? No, I think we'll, we'll skip that bit. I can't think that the listeners are going to be interested in my random Coriolis RPG gaming. So. If you are, get in touch and he'll tell you more about it on a future episode. <laughs> for me, I've just got the usual stuff to plug. I am co-hosting Rarely Going on the We Made This Network, which is the Star Trek animated podcast. So talking about Prodigy there. I'll be appearing on the first episode after the new year as host or guest depending on what decision we make based on who's going to host or guest that one but yes i'm doing that i recently completed a run of all the spider-man movies except from the mcu ones also we made this network for podcast 616 so you can listen to me talk about the five non-mcu spider-man movies 
across five episodes. That was really fun. It was really cool to finally get Amazing Spider-Man 2 out of my system in a podcast. It was really needed. It's been building for years and I finally got to to do it. So, And I imagine we'll do it on this podcast at some point again, so I'll get further closure at some later time. But have a listen to those. Those are good stuff. It's stuff that I've been doing. So if you're not sick of my voice already, go over there and hear me on those things. Let's move on to some trailers. So we've got a few of those this month and some of them feed into Disney Plus Day, which we'll get to. We'll start off with the Jurassic World Dominion prologue. So they released this five-minute prologue that initially played in front of Fast and Furious 9 during the summer in IMAX. Basically, it's five minutes of essentially a tech demo in a way, showing you what you can expect from the film without it actually being in the film. Starts off with dinosaurs in ancient times, dinosaur times, you see them with feathers and so on. And I get a bit of a Walking with Dinosaurs vibe, if anyone remembers that show. Is it, it may still be on. I don't know. They might still be making it. I'll have to check that. But there's that. And then there's a T-Rex attacking a cinema, which is obviously a problem. It's the idea that we have to live in this world with dinosaurs now that they're out in the real world, which happened at the end of the previous film. I thought it was okay. Kind of dull, really, I suppose. And knowing it's not in the film kind of dampens my excitement for this prologue as a proof of concept, I suppose. I just want to see the film to see what they can eke out of this. I haven't been that impressed by the Jurassic World series. I liked the second one fine, but I really hated the first one. So that's where I'm at with this. It looks all right. The visuals are great. And it's good that they're embracing the reality of the dinosaurs had feathers, as was discovered in the years since the original Jurassic Park and feeds into the whole, people don't want real dinosaurs, they want the idea of dinosaurs that they built up in their heads, so it's all in there. So what do you think of this? I was left thinking that I loved this promo and the bit at the end with the T-Rex seemed like such an afterthought of you've seen T-Rexes dominating and terrifying humans before, here it is again. So it's a weird one for me because I've abandoned the Jurassic Park series a long time ago. I don't really know the most recent films. And if this is the one that's trying to get me to come back and watch, well, it's just a T-Rex kind of stomping around some people, which if that's all we're supposed to get out of it, then fine. But I've almost forgotten it. The bit I remember is the great show at the start that I could actually watch, as you say, like Walking with Dinosaurs, here's what the dinosaurs were like. I'm not particularly impressed by the idea that for some point in their life, dinosaurs had feathers. This show is technically accurate. I could be dinosaurs with or without. I don't know if I need that technical accuracy to make me enjoy the film. But either way, I'm still left with its good visuals. But what will I be watching? There's another trailer coming out, I assume, that actually will then properly tell you about the film. Yeah, it's not out till next summer, so I imagine there'll be an actual trailer Sometime between now and then. Well, it didn't tease me well enough, is I suppose what I'm trying to get to. If that's the right way of putting it. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm not huge on Colin Trevorrow either. I mean, I hated his last Jurassic World film, so I don't know what he's going to offer me this time that might make me like it. I will, of course, watch it because I'm I'm insatiable that way. I just can't be stopped. and I just will watch these things connected to things that I like and constantly watch the decline of my favourite things. I, I see what you mean by it's not really offering you anything and... I'm sure we discussed this offline. The appeal of the original Jurassic Park film sort of changes, certainly for me as I got older. My favourite scene in that film is the scene where they're all sitting around having something to eat while discussing the moral implications of what they're doing. 
it's a really great scene because it, it digs into a lot of interesting detail. And then obviously you get the iconic T-Rex attack scene in the Velociraptors and all this stuff. It's just a great film, the original. And any attempts to replicate it are just going to be as shallow as you would expect. And that's what Jurassic World was for me. So I don't know that Colin Trevorrow and the people associated with this have the talent to give me something new and I Certainly based on what he's done before, I don't think he does. Okay, let's move on. Pixar are releasing a film called Lightyear. This was previously announced with Chris Evans voicing Buzz Lightyear or the inspiration for Buzz Lightyear. The idea is that this is the film that Andy would have watched in the world of Toy Story that then inspired the Buzz Lightyear toys that came out. So interesting idea, this in-universe film that we can now watch. It's pretty cool. It looks stunning, animation-wise. It looks amazing. I'm interested in this. I really wish the trailer didn't include that David Bowie song, because it's in every film about space, it feels like, or every trailer for a film about space. Just really scraping the barrel on (laughs) doing that. But other than that, I think it looks great. Yeah, everybody's trying to get their song in. What's the... Mickey take of it all. Take a big song, slow it down, make it a ballad, and you, you've got automatic drama. But we're so used to that now. No, just don't. I don't think they even bother with that here, but it's still just pursuing the old stuff and trying to get an emotional impact. Yeah. He's in space. Let's do Starman. Yeah. That'll do. Kind of dull in that respect. But the trailer looks amazing. It and it's got a cute cat and a cute droid. So what more could you want? They've got a proven track record as well with these films. People have been loving them all the way through. going to be a bit annoying on this podcast saying, oh, I've not seen them all. I've not seen them all. But I do know people that have seen them and nobody's fallen out of favour with this franchise. So carrying on and branching out seems like an easy win for them. So how many of the Toy Stories have you seen? I'm only at two. And I think there's four, is there? There's four, yeah. Plus a bunch of shorts. Yeah, I'm way behind. Definitely watch three because it's devastating, but in a really interesting way. That's all I'll say about it. Let's move on to Star Wars. We have the Book of Boba Fett, uh, Disney Plus series spinning out from The Mandalorian that will appear at the end of December. I actually like to look at this, although I like to look at The Mandalorian at first, and as we know, wasn't a huge fan of that. But it looks very different to The Mandalorian, which means that it seems that they're committing to the whole idea of every project will have its own tone, as it should be. I would quite like to look at it. I'm interested in the idea of him trying to keep his hold on the former Jabba the Hutt criminal empire, Although I've always seen the Boba Fett character as a bit of a joke, so I'm wondering if this will convince me otherwise. Should I watch all of it? Which I might not. I'll definitely watch the first episode, though. I was interested enough by this trailer to give at least the first episode a go, so there it is. I think if you're going to watch Boba Fett, you need to accept the fact that the Boba Fett fan base, which I claimed during the last chat with Chris, would definitely have put a hit out on him. So I've got to say to yourself, what? <laughs> but they, they've already adopted him as a really cool character. And he was at the start. His ending was so seemingly random compared to what he was before then. So it is a weird thing because that's the last you see of them as this comedy end point. But they've recaptured where he started as a proper bounty hunter and given him a backstory that matches that. It's interesting to see this come in, as you say, as a an underworld story so he's going to be the anti-hero because you can't really see him doing anything good he's not going to suddenly turn around and save little children using the power of the underworld so it's it's interesting it's one of these ones that i think is it's only possible to tell this story now 
where we've moved into watching darker stories where it's interesting to watch somebody on the wrong side of the tracks and it be accepted as a normal thing but it does have that and they are with the hero established in the previous stories so they are effectively our heroes it'll be an interesting one though to see how dark they do go because i don't think of either of the two main characters in the boba fett story as being truly evil but if you're going to rule an underworld you have to be prepared to randomly kill somebody because it's the right thing to do so how hard are they going to lean into that given that it's star wars because even with jabba the hut if he didn't like people he did kill them but you never swore anything and they were very keen to make sure that it was something kids could watch but now when you're seeing Boba Fett and, as you say, they're trying to give it a new style, you've got to be thinking, if you're going to do a proper Underworld story, you wanted to see some Mafia-style stuff, and it's going to be pretty nasty. So I'm, I'm curious to know how far they're going to go. I assume it stays Disney. But then how do we convincingly make these people an Underworld that isn't a little bit comedic? But I'm totally on board. I want to see it. I like characters like the background. I'm invested. And... I think I heard in it the voice of the Mandalorian talking to Boba Fett. I don't know if I've made that up, but I thought I heard it. So I think there's going to be that as a cameo. But I'm assuming we have no Jedi. That's my thought. Is this the one that's going to have no Jedi? (laughs) Finally, no lightsabers. Maybe there'll be lightsabers, but no Jedi. I don't know. I don't know what Boba Fett did in The Mandalorian because I didn't watch it. But I guess he's revealed to be not dead, and then he takes over on Tatooine for some reason. Well, yes, he is definitely revealed to be not dead. (laughs) I can confirm that. And he has gone to the place where there is a kingpin ruling over a criminal underworld. I mean, if you want to take over a criminal underworld then go and get some old hut territory. That makes a lot of sense. Why would you go for some random little criminal underworld when you can have the big one? So that makes sense to me. Yeah, fair. And as you said about the whole how dark are they going to make it, yeah, I do think they'll keep it Disney, whatever you choose to interpret that meaning as. So it's not going to be good fellas. That's not what you can expect here. But maybe they'll push it a little bit. I'm told probably by you that The Mandalorian does push it slightly into sort of darker territory here and there, but still keeps it accessible, I guess, maybe the right word is. Yes, I never felt they crossed the line Disney would be completely unhappy with, but I don't know, maybe they're just no longer worried about can we kill somebody on camera, which is something that you think modern Disney would never do, but the old Star Wars, I mean, yeah, they they shot people, people died. Death in Star Wars has always been a thing, yeah. So it felt like they just said, well, we're going back to that and it's going to be fine, isn't it? And Disney said, okay, we agree because you're going to give us loads of money. So, Okay, let's move on. Next up, we've got DC's League of Super Pets. We have a full trailer for this, which is a film about The Rock voicing Crypto the Super Dog. Mm. And John Krasinski is voicing Superman, which is really cool. Basically, it's a bunch of animals getting powers and trying to prove themselves. I think it looks really good. I like the DC animated movies by and large, and I think this one looks like a lot of fun. The Rock as Crypto the Superdog is almost a joke in itself. I think it will be fine. I think it will be perfectly entertaining and watchable. Oh, it looked funny. Yeah, I laughed. I was totally on board with it. I mean, it's certainly not aiming itself at me. I'm not the target audience. But despite that, I found it funny enough. 
so I would happily see it. I do wonder what you thought of the music, though, given that you've taken a stand against the really common music. What do you reckon to their choice of music on this one? Well, the Superman theme. No, the Eye of the Tiger. I mean, everybody plays Oh, Eye of the Tiger. Everybody plays that. So does that get round the problem that your Bowie song had? Is it acceptable? Well, not really. It is a fairly standard choice, but I guess I didn't really hold it to the same standard necessarily because it's clearly just poking fun. So what's one great way to establish a these characters have a motivational journey to go on. Let's play Eye of the Tiger. Fine. So it's the comedy angle that lets it get through. I guess that does. I guess so. A lot of sins. Just like you with holding out for a hero every time they use that or whatever Although the name of the song is. so overused. I can't believe Guardian's computer game used it. It just didn't work at all. But again, <laughs> when you bring it in as comedy, which is Luke mashing up some dark soldiers I forget what they're called now, actually. I can't remember what they are. But the dark side of the force robots. Dark troopers? Dark troopers, yeah. When he's mashing them up to the sound of Bonnie Tyler, what are you going to do? You have to accept it. It just forces itself (laughs) into your head and says, I'm here. And you just say, fair enough. But this looks a lot of fun. I like the gag about the FedEx guy. Who did you attack or who did you bite the FedEx man? Who was he working for? FedEx and the Federation of X, whatever. It just, I thought it was quite funny. Yeah. Dwayne Johnson's pretty good at providing comedy. That's one thing he's definitely good at. Yeah. So, or The Rock. Let's just call him The Rock. Yeah. He doesn't get to use his real name, even though he wants to. But yes, looks fun. And it's got a surprisingly interesting cast in some of these roles. So I'll be watching in May, I believe. So it's quite a while in advance for a trailer, but yes, it's an animated thing. We're getting anime. Next up is something that is pretending to be a bit darker, whether it'll end up being or not is another story. We've got Morbius, the latest connected to Spider-Man, but not connected to Spider-Man, Spider-Man movie that Sony are making to tie into Venom, perhaps. I'm actually okay with this. I think it looks okay as a reasonable, if standard, origin story. The powers look pretty cool. I had to laugh at the mention of Bat Radar, unironically. It's another story about someone descending into being a monster. It references Venom. He's not in this trailer. He's in the last trailer. Michael Keaton's in this, perhaps as the Vulture, perhaps not. We don't know. But Sony are making Marvel movies because Marvel can't stop them. That's what they're doing. And this is the latest one. So looks okay. Jared Leto, you can take or leave him. I would rather leave them most of the time. But yeah, obviously I'll watch it. So we'll see how that pans out. What did you think? I find myself wanting to like the film, but I don't know if I'm going to until I see it. It's it's one of those that's my type of film. It's darker. It's hopefully going to hit some notes, therefore, that I'm going to be more interested in than some of the stuff that we talk about that's obviously light, like Legends of Tomorrow and so on, which I'm not really into. So that darker side, that darker universe is more my thing. But watching the trailer, I couldn't help but think, I don't know what the new perspective is here. I don't know how it's not just going to retell a vampire story. The one thing that saved it for me is the return to the idea that vampirism is actually a curse. You don't want it if you can avoid it. There's so many of these things where descending into a monster turns out to be a good thing. I don't like that. I mean, if you're if you're going to have glittery, shiny vampires and you're making it a thing, then you've built your whole story around it. But making it just a superpower does seem to take away from the original story in such a way as how can you then go back and have it deeply meaningful if it's not really a curse? So I do hope 
that it is a bit of a, a horrible thing that he has to deal with. But even then, I can't see the new perspective. So I, I'm going to watch it, and I want to like it, because I say it is my thing, but I, I don't know what I'm going to see. I don't know what it's going to bring. And I'm not anti-Jared Leto like you are. I've actually liked him. I liked his Joker. I'll stand by that. I don't think they built the film around that Joker, because it would be too horrible, and they wouldn't want to release that. This is a film where actually they are giving him reign to create a character that could be horrible. I wonder if they just won't lean into that either, because it's a not-Marvel-Marvel Marvel film. Marvel, not Marvel. So are they really going to want that in a universe where you've got a nice, fluffy Spider-Man character? So I don't know. I can't see the future for it. I don't know where it goes. I love the Venom joke, though. <laughs> I, was, I was totally on board. <laughs> that was actually the best part of that. It kind of looks like it might have the same problem that the first Venom had, which is, we're not sure what we want this film to be, so we're going to just try and make it everything. Mm. A bit of horror, a bit of comedy, a bit of the rise of an anti-hero, a bit of this, a bit of that. So if it doesn't stay in its lane or pick a lane, then it will be worse off for it, I think, rather than just trying to be everything, which I think this will end up being. The Venom reference suggests that as well, because Venom had that problem. But it worked. I mean, the first Venom film made a lot of money, and the second one also did. Mm. And... I don't mind those films, actually. I do wish there was a bit more cohesion to them, but I thought they were okay. And like I said, Michael Keaton's in it, possibly playing the same character he played in Spider-Man somehow. The Venom 2 post credit scene leans into this connection side of it. I don't know whether I should detail exactly what I mean by that in case people haven't seen it, but there is a suggestion that Sony really want all their side stuff to marry up with the MCU stuff in some way and whether they'll manage to accomplish that or not is up for debate and we'll see in the coming months or years so I don't know but yeah it looks okay I'll see this for sure I mean because I see all this stuff so therefore I will see this. Is it supposed to occur after any of the multiverse Marvel stuff? Can we assume it's possible that the universes have been merged so the Vulture is now actually in the same universe as some of the other characters? Or do we not have any timeline information? Your guess is as good as mine. It's definitely set after Venom, because he references Venom. But it could be just after a clashing together of many universes. And if they've merged, then Sony are going to be merged as well as Marvel, because they're, they're intertwined enough. Yeah. Although maybe Venom is just a film in the universe of this film, so therefore he's quoting the film because he liked it. That's also possible. It could be, but what you've already alluded to that you're not going to reveal is enough for us to think that any of these things are going to be possible, I think. I think what Sony want us to do is to be talking about that stuff along those lines so that we keep talking about their films and that then audiences suddenly believe that they're an essential viewing component in order to keep up with their MCU stuff. So if they keep hinting that, we're going to tie this in with the not connected MCU stuff, maybe watch and find out people might feel compelled to watch and find out mm. it's manipulative uh, it's definitely that but it's a tactic i suppose i don't know that's a bit of a dark spin on it they could again the thing that you're talking about that you're not going to say you could take it at face value and if you do then it's not manipulative it's a promise so i think we've yet to see proof that it's definitely a horrible manipulation yeah who knows we'll find out it's out in january so watch this space we'll talk about it at some point whether it be on a full podcast of its own probably not or on a news update where i talk about whether i liked it or hated it stay tuned we'll talk about it at some point it will come up anyway moving on we've got nightmare alley which is a guillermo del toro thing and i think this looks great visuals look great it's gothic horror angle 
stuff about contact with the beyond, unsettling atmosphere, not quite sure what's going on, a lot of mystery there. I love Guillermo del Toro's stuff, his name being on something. Apart from maybe some of the stuff he produces, means that I will watch it. And this looks right up my nightmare alley. <laughs> that's, that's a risky sentence. <laughs> do you like the look of this? I do. Weirdly, though, for me, when someone says del Toro, I think, oh, I'm not sure. That's maybe a reason I don't want to see it. Interesting. Why is that? I haven't seen enough of his stuff to be truly informed, and I acknowledge that. But I remember getting a chance to watch. Was it The Strain? That was mm-hmm. awful. Hated it. Well, it's a producer thing for him. He directed the first episode, yeah, but... Yeah, well, I didn't like the first yeah. episode. I certainly didn't like the series. I couldn't watch it after that. It was everything that was not good about horror for me. So I've got his name against it, but that is therefore potentially unfair. So maybe I should be thinking about other things, so bringing my darkness with me on that one. But if I just stay in the trailer, it did look interesting it was one of those ones where they don't give you any answers there's hints at an evil organization but you're not really sure maybe if i didn't have his name against it i would have been more intrigued and i'm just coloring it wrongly so i I will want to see it but i guess because it wasn't trying to tell me where the story was going which is actually probably a good idea for a trailer I'm lost in a, a labyrinth of my own creation man. what about the hellboy movies or pan's labyrinth or Pacific Rim, any of those? Pacific Rim, eh, I mean, yeah, you know, Paper Monsters, great. Pan's Labyrinth, I don't remember it, did watch it. So it's one of those things that just didn't impact on me much, but I don't remember hating it either. What was the other thing you said? Hellboy. I saw a Hellboy once and was not made to laugh at all and didn't really get into it. So I think I've failed to connect, is what I'm acknowledging here. I've seen his stuff, but for some reason have not been impressed enough that I want to specifically hunt it out again. I didn't hate some of those, but I wasn't too bothered either. Okay. Watch this one and see what you think of it then. Oh, Shape of Water. Have you seen that? Shape of Water. That was actually interesting. I was a little bit freaked out by some of the analysis of it, and it was something that for me had a very arty explanation of what I was seeing that I didn't feel like I saw. When people were describing it, to me, they were saying they were describing something about the ending that I thought you could choose to read into the ending, but I didn't. Because they were ascribing loads of characteristics to the love interest. And I thought that that love interest cannot have those characteristics by the nature of what it is. So the whole thing is fake and it's built on a lie. How is that supposed to be the best romance ever? So, again, no, I'm not connecting with this stuff somehow. Could have a really big discussion about that one, though, at some point, if you ever fancy it. That could be an interesting podcast. Let's table that for now, but give this a go and see what you think of it. Maybe that can lead into us having that kind of discussion, because I know that Kat's a big Del Toro fan, just as I am, so we could have something there. We could have something there. Listeners, if you want to hear it, hit us up, because we'll take recommendations. If we know that people definitely want to hear it, we'll definitely do it. There you go, that's the gauntlet laid down. Up next, something a bit lighter, we have Turning Red, a new Pixar thing where a red-haired girl turns into a panda and it seems to be about self-image, about accepting herself, about breaking out of a rut and a routine that she's got herself into. Strong emotion controls the transformation, it's about emotional control a bit, it's got all that kind of stuff in there. 
I like the look of this. As with a lot of Pixar things, based on the trailer, I feel like it's not giving me enough to draw me in completely. But because Pixar are making it, I will definitely see it because I see everything they make and I usually like it. That's pretty much my response as well, actually. I could see that it was based on the traumas of growing up, growing into a heritage that you were not really wanting to, or in this case, didn't even know about. But the idea that you've got this cultural heritage behind you that you suddenly have to deal with as you become an adult, that the child in you doesn't need to deal with. There's plenty of stuff there, everything you've just said about growing up too. It pretty much puts that label straight in the front and says, you are going to like this and find it emotionally upsetting but then rewarding at the end and i didn't get that from the trailer like you said that is not what i got from that i got that from the from the producer of incredibles and inside out and you're looking at it going (laughs) right okay yeah yeah, they were both really good i'm on board for me it was actually sold by the brand otherwise it would have been another film about growing up but the pedigree that you get through inside out and incredibles is just something you can't ignore yeah, and I wonder if that's deliberate on Pixar's part when they come to market these things. It's Here's that other film that devastated you that we made. This is another one of these. Come and see it. But for the kids who they're really trying to aim the film at, they put in the jokes, they put in the colours, yeah. they put in everything that kids will respond to. So we're drawn in because we like Pixar's mm. outputs in previous iterations of it. Whereas the kids get drawn in because, yeah, this looks funny. Please, parents, take me to see this. Or whatever your family situation is. So, yes, I think I will like it. Well, not definitely, but I think I will like it because I usually do. Okay, we're moving on to a bit of disaster stuff for the next couple of trailers. We've got Don't Look Up, which is a Netflix apocalyptic comedy. It seems to be centred more on the public reaction and the cynicism that comes with it, which is possibly analogous to the situation we're currently living through with all the speculation in the media as to what the truth is and what we're being told and all these various things. So there's quite a lot of that in the trailer. It's directed by Adam McKay, who directed The Big Short, which is a very good exploration of how you can view certain things. Vice was another strong example of how image is interrogated by different perceptions of it and so i'm not going to say too much about it but it's his wheelhouse this sort of thing and focusing more on the here's how people might react to the fact that you're all going to die in a week or so because of this thing that's about to hit the earth rather than the thing that's about to hit the earth certainly interests me and the cast are great leonardo dicaprio and jennifer lawrence and so on it looks like it, it could be another netflix thing that i decide to watch yeah these analogy stories are often really risky i think because when you've got a message that you want to get across it's so difficult to avoid preaching and just being a blunt instrument but when i was watching this you called it a comedy which is right i would have gone to black comedy myself but just only i mean technically accurate but only to really say that I think that black humour does actually take... Well, maybe the black humour is the sugar on the spoon of the medicine. Because it did actually show me something that I wanted to watch. It didn't just say, I am about this problem and you need to watch me because you need to agree. I didn't feel like I was being hit in the face. I did feel like I was being invited in. And I do wonder if that was because of some of the lines that were in it rather than the expositions. I mean, it's very easy to hear the line, this is already a problem when you've literally just heard that on the news a couple of weeks ago. 
Yeah. And when you're when you're not being told this is the problem, and you just get to make that association yourself, of course it's going to be more palatable. So I, I think, based on the trailer that I've seen so far, it is going to be lower exposition and more interest. And I was intrigued because of it. I mean, it couldn't have been more heavily about climate change as a metaphor, based on what they were giving you. But that is such a valuable thing that we do need to get in. But as I say, I don't think they slammed me in the face with climate change. I think they let me listen to the words and the arguments. And you think, oh, God, I just heard that at COP26. Oh, that was on the news. Oh, that was that guy who said it. Oh, this was that president that was talking. Oh, yeah, remember those people. And then you, you go through all the commentary where you see all the sort of TV stuff where they're saying, I don't really think that it's a problem you know this meteor is probably not going to hit it's all fake it's not been made up. and you think oh yeah well that's what people said about climate change so it's going to be this massive metaphor that does slap you but you can understand that the frustration that we're dealing with at the moment around that is something where people just said how on earth do we get this out so making it a big rock in space that's going to flatten the planet it makes it easier to understand oh yeah that is definitely a problem and you're asked to be invited in to think from the scientist's perspective, yeah, but I know that climate change is effectively the same as a big rock in space. So I don't know if it'll stick to that. I don't know if it will actually just start hitting me with a mallet by the time I get past the comedy. But I was intrigued enough to try it. So actually looking forward to that one. Yeah, it's not subtle in what it's trying to tell you, but it might still tell you in a very compelling way. Yeah, if it doesn't do with speeches and exposition, it does it with references, then I'm on board. The next disaster movie is a much more traditional one, Moonfall, directed by Roland Emmerich. So it's basically a lot of monuments being blown up by something. The moon is crashing into the earth, which is obviously a problem because Just it's going to cause a lot of damage. Yeah. There's something underneath the surface of the moon, probably alien in origin, there's the, they knew about this all along, government conspiracy stuff, mm -hmm. which feels a bit dated in that respect. I mean, it's always going to be a plot point in various things, isn't it? And Emmerich's a big fan of the, they kept this from us and they've been thinking about it for so long. Mm -hmm. Independence Day in 2012 and Godzilla, for example. It, almost everything he's done has been essentially this. Stargate, the film, which is, yeah, they discovered this thing and kept it from us. So he's all about that. I think he's very cynical about government and their approach to honesty and that comes through in his films where he essentially destroys as much of the planet as humanly possible without wiping it out completely we assume i think i like this i usually like his stuff just on a purely visceral aesthetic level and this looks like it'll have a lot of things going boom and sometimes i like seeing a lot of things going boom so i'll give this a go i'd have to take your recommendation on that because i'm not really up on my disaster films i've seen some of the old ones like towering inferno and I do get them. They do make sense to me. But when I then try and compare that thought to some of the modern disaster stuff, I don't know, I just don't see it. There was one where they, well, no, there were two, where there's a meteor to crash into the planet. They almost came out at the same time. Can't remember. Armageddon and Deep Impact. Yeah, one of them I really liked, and the other was a bit naff. I can't remember which way round it was. Armageddon was Bruce Willis as a driller, right. and Deep Impact has Elijah Wood in it. It might be the Elijah Wood one, and I'll tell you for why, because I do remember a scene where, and I can't remember her name either, David Duchovny's ex-wife is on the beach with her father watching this tidal wave come in, and 
to me, that's the sort of thing that makes a disaster film. I don't really need to see a bunch of people and and scenery just chewed up and think, yeah, that's an explosion. I don't get anything out of that. But watching a daughter and her father stand together on a beach and there is absolutely no hope of survival, that's the stuff that gets to me. I'm not expecting to see anything moving or upsetting in the moon crashing from the sky. I'm expecting (laughs) to see more like, as you say, monuments being destroyed. So I'm going to say... I don't think it's for me. I'll hand it over to you to say whether you reckon it's going to be a good monument buster or a bad monument buster. Tia Leone is who you're referring to, David Duchovny's ex-wife. That's it. Yes, that's Deep Impact, which is a film I have very little memory of. I've only seen it once or twice, and it was a while ago. Mm. Armageddon, the other one, I've seen a lot of times. And I think Deep Impact's probably the better one, but I'd have to see it again to really commit to that idea but watching armageddon with ben affleck's commentary is almost better than watching the film itself because he just tears into it completely it's about where they draft bruce willis and his drilling team because they're the best drillers on earth and he can't comprehend how this plot point came into being he's like it's a drill you point it at the ground and you turn it on how hard can it be oh, by the way if there's any miners listening to this do you want crazy drills? <laughs> <Yeah, no. laughs> Mining engineers and all this. People are going through university for five years to study this, and you've just said, just get the drill and point it. I agree. I'm quoting Ben Affleck. Take it up with Ben Affleck, not oh, me. Oh, sorry, I'd forgotten that Ben Affleck was considered a mining expert. Yeah, take it up with him. I mean, he'd beat you up because he's Batman, but... If he came around as Batman, I've gotten a lot of respect for his Batman, so yes, I will accept anything he says with the cowl on, that's fine. As to whether I think this will be a good monument-busting disaster movie, yes, I do. Based on this trailer, I think it will be good. I don't know if you've seen Independence Day. Independence Day is probably, unironically, one of my favourite films. Oh, right. Well, I have. I wouldn't have guessed that, but fair enough. I just think it's so much fun. I just can't not smile whenever I watch it. By the way, idea for a podcast, as always, every now and then two films that come out near the same time on the same subject you could totally do a podcast where you compare those two films and then if successful do another one do another one it probably already exists as a podcast unlike legion which we were the only one who ever did legion all right i'll search for that i'll google it we'll see <laughs> so moving on we have another film which looks a bit more emotionally hefty than the moon crashing into the earth Swan Song, a really interesting high concept science fiction story, but building a duplicate of yourself to live in your place, because Mahershala Ali's character is diagnosed with a terminal illness. He doesn't want to leave his unborn child behind without a father, so he creates this duplicate. And there's this thing about, is this duplicate as alive as he is? Does it have the same right to life? Does it deserve to be used in this way? Can it make its own choices? Can he make its own choices? Is it an it or a he? Who knows? But it looks really interesting, the whole concept of identity and existentialism. And it looks like it's going to be really emotionally devastating and draining. Draining in a good way. I think it's going to lean into the the emotion of loss and what that means for people and what if you could get around it but not really get around it. Yeah, I think this is proper sci-fi. We don't see much of this, actually. I was reminded of Ex Machina when I first saw this. That was also... Yeah, I got that vibe too. Yeah. Proper sci-fi film, so I want to see this. If they do do it right, it will be a discussion of an important choice humans will make in the future. And perfect actor to do it. The trailer shows you all of those important questions that get asked without showing you any of the answers the character takes. That was a great trailer for what is hopefully a good film on an important subject for humanity coming up. Totally on board. It's going to be an Apple TV 
17th of December, I believe, is when it's released. So it might already be out by the time you're listening to this news roundup. But it's far enough in the month that it's not irrelevant to talk about. And I really like the trailer. It does look like it will be a tough watch because it's going to be dealing with a lot of really high intensity issues. And yeah, I'm going to watch it. I'm here for it. Next up is Unwelcome, which is a fairly standard looking horror Conceptually, the idea of strangers coming in to upset a quiet status quo that people have been used to. You've got to leave offerings to make sure that ghosts or whatever leave you alone. Looks okay in terms of the horror. The ideas in there are interesting enough because the thing about horror is the idea behind the horror can be worthwhile in itself. It's also got Call Meany in it, Chief O'Brien himself. So that was enough to catch my attention. That's why it's on this list, to be honest. Otherwise, I might not have bothered because we don't talk about every horror trailer because most horror films are to me, largely the same, but this may be okay. I will find this film interesting if its use of the red caps are tied into an English-Irish cultural battle, and they're not just a switch on the switch where you think, oh, are the red caps real, or is it just the locals trying to scare them off and you don't know if it's one or the other they show you something with a wee hand coming up and trying to grab the window but then later on in the film they show some naff guy with a puppet just twat on the window with a bit <laughs> if that's all it is i am so not interested in this film that i think people have done before many times oh yeah people come and take your land i know that's a thing but it's not enough to just turn that into a random horror and and then just turn it into a slasher thing that's not I don't think a good enough commentary on that problem. But if you get the red caps in and say, no, there's a real cultural issue here that, guess what, has not gone away. We had it before, centuries ago, and it's still centuries on, an issue that we need to deal with if we're actually going to ever live together in harmony. And somehow the red caps are our manifestation of our combined hatred of each other. If you start getting some of that analogy in, then this is a good horror that's got something I want to watch. And I don't know if I can tell from trailer which way round it's going. I don't know if you've got a vibe from it that you could say. No, the trailer largely leans into there's people getting dragged through the woods or there's a hand at the window. That's scary. Or, oh, you forgot to leave your offering. That's not going to bode well for you. That kind of stuff. So it's hard to say. I don't know if it'll be a classic or it's probably something that Andrew will be very interested in. He's a big horror guy. so I think I would need him to tell me which way round the film goes, hopefully without spoiling it, out of those two that I've just given. And if he says one or the other, I'll go and watch it. But before he can tell me that, I'm not going to run out and see it. That's fair. Okay, The Boys. Up next, we have some teases of The Boys by way of in-universe adverts that presumably set up things that are going to play part in season three. And I like this approach to advertising because it's better than a trailer, isn't it? Or at least to me it is because it just gives you a bit of a flavour of what's going on and a bit of a fun riff on stuff and the streaming service advert especially in the wake of what disney plus did for disney plus day doesn't really feel like parody anymore it actually just feels like it's been played straight but they're obviously shining a light on the fact that (laughs) not this is actually really happening these days we're spending so much on content your one-stop streaming service is going to have everything and that's not a good thing because homelander's telling you to watch it and he is a piece of work don't pay attention at this so yeah boys season three i like the first two seasons which I was surprised by because, as you know, with superhero stuff, I tend to lean away from the dark side of things. But you have characters like Starlight, who give me that virtuous, hopeful 
heroic side of things. She has at least not been corrupted by her surrounding universe and, funnily enough, acts like the light within it. So that gives me enough, I think. I didn't see season two yet, just because it went to the back of my list of things to watch. But that's the only reason I did enjoy season one, and I would go back to it. And I think this is, as you say, a really good way of doing your advert. For me, I was not necessarily so into a big seven-minute thing. So I, I might have turned off halfway through if I hadn't have been having to talk about it just now. But the idea was good. It did make me wonder if three smaller segments instead of one large segment would have been... Well, I think they were released as smaller segments initially. It's just the video I linked to was everything combined. So, yeah, so I think it was over the past few weeks, it's here's the first one, here's the second one. And and then the Disney Plus day or soon after it, they did the here's our streaming service one. Oh, in that case, I'm totally on board with that. I didn't have enough information to properly think of it. In that case, yeah, I think that was an amazing idea. As you say, anytime they try and do something different, especially if it's in character, in plot, or in world, where you think that this is actually the way it would be there, is always going to be a better advert than just trying to show you a stream of clips that you're not going to pay attention to. Because you're virtually watching a bit of the show. So it's yeah, a great idea for it. Yeah, these are things that the characters within the show can watch, rather than us outside the show just seeing clips of what we're going to watch. It's almost too disturbing to see such a valid commentary on commentary at the moment. This is a completely believable person that you know you've seen on Fox TV or whatever. It's almost too accurate in that sense. But it did make me think, do American shows not worry about really slamming the hard right? Because it always makes me think that people in Hollywood and people that make shows in America, they must all be Democrats because it really does seem like they're just hammering Republicans (laughs) into the ground and saying, all you Republicans are awful. And whereas you might not necessarily worry about hitting a political party, there are a lot of people, obviously, that vote Republican. Are you not interested in getting them as audience members? I mean, I might be misjudging it, but it, I always feel like to make their point, they're really having to go for CU people that watch shows like Fox News. You're just dumb. And you think, oh, God, is that not a bit of a gamble? There seems to be a common thing. Hit that exaggerated TV, as we would see it. But in America, would I think of it as exaggerated TV? Would part of my audience think of it as, no, this is normal telling? Well, particularly the streaming service advert, it was essentially just describing what Disney Plus have just done and are promising to do, so it's not parody, is it? And I suppose the other stuff isn't really parody, it's just they've added these superheroes that exist in this universe into this style that already exists. But yeah, the whole anti-Republican sentiment, it's possible we're in a bit of an echo chamber that we only watch these things that slam it because that's not how we're politically aligned, I don't know. But I know from the CW stuff I watch, Supergirl and so on, people do slam that for being woke and promoting a particular agenda and all that stuff. And yes, it does promote a particular agenda and that's the purpose of the show in a lot of ways, but people do slam it for that. And I guess, yeah, you don't watch that, but you would imagine that material does exist for people that don't want to be made fun of in that way. Or maybe it's just the excessive violence in the show is enough to mitigate that. I don't know. I really don't know. And I can't remember if I talked about it in previous podcasts, really enjoyed the ending of Supergirl. I thought they did very well when they finished that, so I just thought I would bring that in right there. Just as, a, as an aside, I'm not going to say any more. Mm-hmm. There's a review, and there will be a podcast once I finish editing it, but there it's there. It just seemed relevant at that point. But yes, The Boys Season 3, 
I'll be watching it. I enjoyed season one and two. And as I say, I think it does enough to get around the overwhelming darkness in it by not overwhelming me with the darkness that's supposed to be overwhelming in it because it does have that alternate perspective. And that's why I dislike some of the darker things because I don't feel like it gives me enough of that alternate perspective that I want. So The Boys does. Okay, next up we have another adaptation of Around the World in 80 Days. It's time to go back to Jules Verne because I guess it's free to adapt his stuff in terms of licensing. Obviously, they have to pay to adapt it by making the thing, pay actors and visual effects artists and cameramen and anybody that makes it, they have to pay. But they don't have to pay for the property. Once again, that's the theme of this podcast. It looks authentic. It looks nice and adventury, swashbuckly. David Tennant is good. There's some additions to source material, such as the female character, as they should probably do in this day and age, for sure. And it doesn't change the story. They're just trying to get around the world in 80 days. That's the story. It doesn't need to be slavish to the original material. Yeah, it looks pretty good based on that. I quite like the look of it. So on in January, beginning of January. Yeah, it could be good. As a British person, I sometimes struggle with one particular type of British humour. I don't necessarily like our silly humour, where isn't it funny because people are being stupid and doing silly things? No, they're just stupid. So it depends how hard they (laughs) lean into that style for me. If they go too hard, I'm going to find it too annoying, which was my response to Phileas Fogg as presented. I don't see how the character is presented stands any chance of getting around the world alive. And that's going to be the joke, I think. Passepartout is going to get him around alive and he's just going to be a waste of space doing it. Except for that moment where he comes true and this is why he was here and he learns to be a man. Oh, no. Inspector Gadget type situation. See, now here's the thing. Inspector Gadget is actually something that I do have time for because Inspector Gadget is useless and it was agreed that he was useless and there was never an attempt to pretend otherwise. And that truth to me is something I can really lean into you could never really get the real detectives into the limelight because they were a girl and her dog and no adult world was going to accept it. So she was behind her uncle in that sense for a reason. Whereas with this, it's the ridiculousness of we're the servant class who are really the clever people and the better people and the rich people are just stupid and idiots and they've got all the money so they're in power. But that's not the way it really was. That's not in any way believable. The rich people were also pretty clever. They had to be in order to steal everybody else's money and power. And it's not that that was a good thing, but you did have to be reasonably clever to do it. You couldn't just be an idiot and stay in power. So I liked Inspector Gadget a lot, but this style of comedy, it needs to have an intelligence to it for my mind. If you're going to have the rich people are stupid and the underclass is clever and holding up the world, then you need to have that really dark, blackadder style humour to really point out how the underclass is kept down and how the world is working against them and how they're fighting every day and it's a losing battle and it's just a bit, oh, do I really find this funny or is it just too horrible? Where if they're just being silly, then you've got to be thinking, why hasn't Passepartout just stolen his stuff, pretended to be him and just taken over? Because obviously he could. And the reason is because it's funny this way, but yeah, I guess it's not my style of humour. I don't find David Tennant tripping over his feet funny. I don't think I'm going to enjoy it. It's just going to be too stupid. I'm going to be sitting there going, nope, he'd be dead by now. 
No, he's died again. No, he's rubbish. It's not going to be in any way grounded. I don't think there's going to be any clever jokes. It's going to be just a little bit too slapstick. I mean, I could be proved wrong, and maybe it won't be that, but there is that very definite style of British humour. It's a trope it's leaned into, and I think they've gone with it. And I really don't think I'm going to be able to find it anything other than annoying because I'm going to want the reporter woman that's been added in, who's therefore a character I don't know, and Passbo too, to just push Phileas out of the hot air balloon. Just do it. You're over the Alps. Nobody's going to know. Or over the Himalayas. I forget which mountain range it is. It doesn't matter. It's a big mountain range. Just push him out. It'll be fine. Nobody <laughs> will hold that against you. And if I'm doing that, I'm not in any way enjoying it. So that's one I'm definitely bringing my darkness with me. I'll just summarise with probably just not my style of humour. Okay. Did you see the, it might not have been the last attempt, but an attempt to adapt this material that had really bizarre Arnie cameo in it, actually. <laughs> there was something that happened. Jules Verne stuff, they're always going to have a go at it, aren't they? There's always different interpretations of it. They've also greenlit a new adaptation of Journey to the Centre of the Earth. And the last one I saw of that was the one that had the rock in it, funnily enough, we talked about him earlier, Journey to the Mysterious Island. And there was Journey to the Centre of the Earth before that that had Brendan Fraser in it. They were all right, actually. They were, you know, kids' adventure films to capitalise on 3D, which was a new technology as we know it now at the time. So those were things that were out at that time. This version of it, it looks more in line with being a direct adaptation it's set at the time the book was written and so on so i'll maybe give it a go if you want to see the definitive around the world in 80 days then you need to see the old 80s cartoon which was set in the world of animals so phileas Fogg is a lion and everybody else is various other animals it's something i watched as a kid it's got humour in it from the perspective of children need to find things entertaining but the main characters are dealing with serious issues. They get in trouble and they have to get out of it. For a kid's show, I think that's going to be much better than this thing is going to offer. So my advice is go and watch Around the World with Willie Fogg and you'll, you'll just thank me for that. There's Aaron's take on it. Go do that. And then maybe watch this. Who knows? Up to you. So in January anyway. So do it. Whatever. Approaching the end of our trailers, kind of. The next one is Mother slash Android, or just Mother Android, I guess. Skip. It's uh, another story about, about androids going nuts. Skip it. Not worth talking about. Skip, Skip it. it. <laughs> no. <laughs> I get a vibe that humans might be the bad guys in all this. They might be the ones that cause them to go nuts. Mm, I'm getting a bit of a Quiet Place vibe See, from it. Problem. And, it's the Terminator and the Quiet Place. Both were good films. Let them do what they wanted to do. Don't try and bring them back. <laughs> Let's pretend there's never happened. But there's the motherhood angle, as in Chloe Grace Moretz is pregnant and has to get somewhere safe. Children of men, moving on. I mean, <laughs> not keen on this then, based on this trailer, I'm guessing. It's a good job you gave me Children of Men there, because it's Terminator, Quiet Place, and Children of Men. Parts of those three films jammed together in its own film. Three films have done the same ideas completely differently and probably better. What on earth is this film offering us? I don't see it. Yeah, I wasn't necessarily keen on the trailer myself. It's one of those things where, well, I'll watch this, I suppose, if it's accessible and I've got nothing else to do. Yeah. I did enjoy the, the words on the screen that said from a producer of the Batman. All right. <laughs> it's just a very exact credit. Again, technicality. Yeah. You're trying to make this appeal to me by referencing a film that isn't out yet. Well if that's all you've got to say, I guess that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's just 
scraping the bottom of the marketing barrel, but yes. That comes back to the chat we had in some previous news thing where the guy who's been, quote, delighted to do Beast Wars was asked to say, why were you so glad to do it? And he said, well, actually, I really like the color scheme <laughs> that's it that's the best you're going to give us about what you've got no not watching it okay fair enough we'll move on then let's move on to the big one we have the second and final trailer for spider-man no way home that gives us more of an extension of what was in the first trailer rather than anything new so it gives you the idea of peter parker messes up a spell that's supposed to make everybody forget his identity doing so breaks the universe opens up the multiverse brings through villains from other dimensions, other Sony-produced Spider-Man films that come to fight him. He has to either kill them or send them back. The killing is uh, going to be obviously a point of contention that pits Peter against Doctor Strange. Mm. And there's a bunch of villains in it. Alfred Molina's here. Willem Dafoe's back. Jamie Foxx is back. Sandman's back. We don't know if the actor's back. Maybe that's been... Confirmed, I don't know. Definitely the big sand face is back. You don't necessarily need an actor behind that, though. I do like the look of this. I'm really looking forward to seeing this. And I think there's a 0% chance that the previous two Spider-Man live-action actors, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, aren't in this. I think Andrew Garfield's been in an unfortunate position where he's done a lot of things recently, which means doing a lot of press for things that he's done. And every time he appears, he gets asked, are you in this film? And he's just sick of denying it. But no one's going to ever believe a word the man says ever again if he ends up being in this film because he's just been lying for so long. I feel really sorry for him, but he's in this film. It's definitely happening. And yeah, I like the trailer. I think it looks really good. Because I like those previous films, I'm excited to see these villains come back, even though it means that we'll probably never get our own MCU versions of these characters, which is a bit of a shame. But at the same time... Alfred Molina back as Doc Ock. How can you lose? So speaking of technically accurate, my prediction is that Andrew Garfield is going to be in the mid-credit or end credits and therefore technically not in the film main body, but he's going to be in the credits. So I think he's going to be able to say that technically I was telling the truth. So that's my credit. And I really, really okay. want Toby Maguire to just turn up and deliver a pizza or a tin of cranberries and then just butter off. That's what I want for him. That's what you want. Okay. To come back to the film itself, I watched the first film and thought, this is a Marvel film that I will see. And it wasn't until this second trailer that I've really picked up on the reason that Spider-Man and Strange are going to go against each other, that Strange is going to pursue his job as defender of the universe and try to get rid of the infiltrating villains by any means necessary. And Spider-Man is going to say, but they're human, you can't. And I didn't appreciate that. And that's such a massive point that I feel like I really want... I don't know, did I just miss that from the first trailer? No, it's not in the first trailer at all. The first trailer is just a collection of imagery rather than right. any solid plot stuff. Oh, so this one is a bit more, right. here's what it's about. Okay, well that's fair enough then, because the first one's a teaser, so I wouldn't have expected to get that. But I'm glad I saw the second one, because it gives me what is sometimes forced in films. Why are the heroes going up against each other? Why is King Kong fighting Godzilla? Because we need them to. That's just the way it has to be. And you think, oh, really? And I really want them to come up with a good reason why these characters are going to go against each other. And it be in character. And it so is in this case. 
It's one man's job, raison d'etre, going up against another man's ideology, and they just clash. But they're both coming at it from, I have to save something. I have to save people. I have to save reality. And it suddenly just became so much more important in my mind to the extent that I now really want to see this film, especially from that angle of slight tragedy. Peter Parker is going to have to go out and try and save those villains that are going to try to kill him. That's such a Peter Parker, Spider-Man thing. It's almost defining in the way some of the other films that he's done. Obviously, he's had to reveal himself and his ideology and say what he believes in. But this is definitive. This is going to really mark who this character is. I could not be more on board now after seeing this trailer. I don't know if the rest of the trailer holds up to that one moment, but I was just so hung <laughs> on that one thing. And that's it, I'm on board. No, close it. Don't need to see the trains and all this stuff. Fine. And there's a few things that hint at the other Spider-Men being in it. The lizard gets kicked in the head by nothing, yeah. for example. Do you know what it is? It's not being kicked in the head by an invisible Andrew Garfield. He's hit in the head by a can of cranberries. That's what it's <laughs> actually stopping you seeing Tobey Maguire, yeah. who is in the film, whereas Andrew Garfield is not, because he's only going to be in the end credits. Okay. I was going to say it's Miles Morales because he has cloaking abilities, but the cranberries one would be much better. Cloaking abilities. I would love to see that one. Edited out can of cranberries, yeah, which is better, you know. Who knows? The surrounding chat where this film is concerned is kind of exhausting in a way because at no point have they ever promised us that the other two Spider-Men will be in it but it has become the conversation it's constantly become the conversation there's been leaks of or not leaks of here they are and Daredevil's going to be in it too by the way probably because Peter Parker needs a lawyer and who's a lawyer? Daredevil he's in it well so She-Hulk why isn't she defending him and we know she's coming so could be her or it could just be a lawyer that works for Stark Industries because Let's face it, he has access to those kinds of infinite resources. So he, there's no reason that Happy Hogan couldn't say, we'll give you the legal team. Yeah, there's 16 lawyers, pick one. <laughs> yeah, because we have access to that sort of thing. So it's kind of grown arms and legs. Many more arms and legs than spiders have, actually, out of this not promise, this suggestion that people have kind of come up with on their own. I'm pretty sure that it's going to play out the way that everybody expects it and they're going to be in it but there's a lot of weird stuff been going on there's been some reporting where tom holland has said maybe it's time for me to give up this role and miles morales could take over if i'm still playing spider-man when i'm 30 i've done something wrong and then yesterday as we record or a couple of days ago as we record they announced yeah we're gonna make another three of these with tom holland in them which is good i'm glad that marvel and sony are continuing their partnership and it makes sense for sony because They're making Spider-Man movies that people want to watch and they're making a lot of money. So therefore, why wouldn't you continue such a partnership? Why would you risk taking your toys back? I mean, your toys, the toys that you essentially bought for a very small amount of money when Marvel were experiencing bankruptcy back in the 90s. (laughs) That's this toy that you're holding on to. You're just not going to let go of it. But at the same time, when you've got a production team that are making things that people want to watch with this property and you can get a slice of that pie, a big slice of that pie, absolutely, why wouldn't you continue to do that? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't surprise me that they're going to try and make another trilogy with Tom Holland. And maybe the long-term plan is we'll get Miles Morales in and pass the torch over once Tom Holland's done with this. We don't know. We have no idea at this point, but there's all sorts of chatter around that and all sorts of rumours. And 
I just want to see the film. And all these rumours that have been all but confirmed in some people's minds, it kind of ruins maybe some surprises that might show up in the film itself. I mean, imagine you had no idea that anybody was in this, even the villains, and you just saw it all for the first time on screen. How great would that be? Where Doc Ock turns up and you're, oh my God, I didn't know that was happening. Yeah, that's not the world. It's not the world we live in. We, we don't live in that world now. We live in the world of lots of many small hits. Yeah, but we have our tickets. They are booked yeah, for opening day. We are going to see it as a Neil Before Pod group. There are four of us going. Yeah. Us two, Chris and Isaac, are going to see it. And we will podcast about it in some configuration of those people, or perhaps different people, probably in January, because it's out at such an awkward time of year. Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, Spider-Man. I'm always here for Spider-Man. Just of interest, did you see a link and did you believe any threat in it between the scene of trying to catch MJ compared to the scene of trying to catch Gwen from the previous Spider-Man? Well, obviously I saw a connection because that's just a Spider-Man thing. Do you reckon there's a believable threat that MJ could buy it? Or is it, no, she's definitely going to survive. It was just a cheap comparison yeah i don't think there's any chance of them killing her or any of the characters off in this film though i could be wrong gamora for example i didn't imagine they would kill off any of the say the guardians cast Mm. in a crossover film like that but they did so that'd be a nice well it wouldn't be a nice surprise i quite like the mg character but it would be a surprise i wouldn't see it coming the fact that they teased it annoys me actually because it's this we'll come and see it and you'll get to see mj thrown off a building Well, I've I've seen MJ in various configurations thrown off buildings before. And also in various configurations. In fact, how many Spider-Man properties have we seen that have focused on people getting thrown off things and Spider-Man having to catch them? It's kind of what he does. Although the, what's the line actually? Because the one thing that I really did like about the throwing off the building is where you get the Green Goblin saying something about a despicable guy coming along with a horrible choice and then he just throws two things off. That was really darkly funny. Definitely one of the best lines of that. So if they do it like that, then I'm on board for a bit of chucking stuff off buildings. But it probably won't be that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it'll be the Green Goblin that throws her off as well. It's like, oh, her name's MJ. I'm going to throw her off something. That's what I did to another MJ. Well, yeah, if they get a good Willem Dafoe joke out of it, then I'll be up for that too. Yeah, fair enough. They obviously do the Octavius joke in here, which I quite like. The, What's your name? Oh, Octavius. And they just laugh. But it's that really childish laugh that they do, which I think really works. And it's like, oh, yeah, these kids are young. They are very young, so they're going to find that funny. Well, but to be fair, if they go ahead with that, they really do need to carry on with it, to my sense. Because if you start looking into the names of superheroes, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. You can get away with, okay, Spider-Man, you are a Spider-Man. Okay, that sort of makes sense. But some of them, when they come up, I am Red Jelly Man because I throw red jelly. And it really is just that on the nose. Are they going to be able to do that joke once? Or are these kids going to have to be just rolling around on the floor laughing every time a stupid villain turns up. I guess it's the idea that a man named Otto Octavius ends up with eight limbs as the joke, and they say that in Spider-Man 2, that's exactly the line, almost. Well, yeah, but it's almost a reasonable-ish sounding name, though. It just happens to have something that compares to the Latin for the number eight. I don't know, it just feels like there are some much stupider names out there for you to take the mickey out of. And if you really go for this one, it's got to be some strange... I mean, we've got one coming up with some of these villains. I don't know how they're going to do Modoc. That's one of the things we're going to talk about. If you really go for 
Doc Ock, then I feel like yeah, it's the start of a slippery slope. You're going to have to really start analysing the names of your villains carefully as you release them from here on in. Well, they kind of did a variation of that joke in Infinity War as well, the bit where Peter introduces himself to Doctor Strange and he says, I'm Peter Parker, and he says, Doctor Strange. It's, oh, we're using our made-up names. I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> I suppose yeah. that's it. Maybe I'm wrong. They've already done it twice. Fair enough. If he's carrying on with it, then yeah. We've discussed the comic book naming of these characters and various things before, and a lot of adaptations they do, the media gives them that name because it's a punchy name. So that's what happens in Spider-Man 2, Dr. Octopus, Doc Ock. We'll call him that because it's a punchy name that we can put in the newspaper. And you get that in a lot of the DC stuff. For example, in The Flash, Cisco naming the villains in season one onwards because he is into comic books and likes to name villains in that way. So they usually find an in-universe justification for that sort of thing. Mm, yeah. And it usually is the whole branding side of it, isn't it? It's the, well, what are the public going to call them? What name can we latch on? And Jameson says in the first one, copywriting the name Green Goblin, I want a quarter every time someone says it. It is that, isn't it? From that perspective, it suddenly becomes very believable, actually. So fair enough. As soon as you say marketing team, yeah, I'm all right. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll see more Spider-Man in the MCU for sure after this. Chris's theory is that the film will end. I have to name check it so that we can have a record of him being wrong when it happens. But his theory is the film will end with Tom Holland's Peter Parker being shunted into a adjacent pocket universe of sorts where his MCU history is still intact, but you can also hang around with Venom and Morbius and all them. That's his theory. So I thought I'd check it. We'll see if he's right when we podcast about this in January or whenever we do it. Yes, Spider-Man No Way Home. We're going to see it. Looking forward to it. We just have to try and avoid all of the further leaks that will surely come over the next couple of weeks. But looks good. Definitely looks good. Okay, let's move on to Disney Plus Day. They released some very small teases of things, it has to be said. So let's start with Obi-Wan. We didn't even get any footage. We got some drawings. These drawings show that it's not just going to be set on Tatooine. Obi-Wan's going to be going on a bit of an adventure that he never talked about. He was in exile until he wasn't, essentially, I think is what we take from this show. He has a secret duel with Darth Vader, which is an idea that I really hate. I know that the original Star Wars movie is something that is a bit cagey in terms of canon because they hadn't figured it all out at that point. So some of what they say in there is to be taken with a pinch of salt. But something that is definitive is that Obi-Wan and Vader have not seen each other in a very long time. There's the line where Vader says, I sense something, a presence I've not felt since... And he wanders off. And when he fights Obi-Wan, he says, when I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. So you left him as the learner a couple of years ago. I'm not keen on that as an idea. I just don't see how they'll make that work and make me accept it. But the idea of Obi-Wan getting into trouble on Tatooine while he's in exile is an idea that I am interested in, potentially, depending on how they do it. It's going to be a big off-world galaxy hopping adventure and i'm not here for that for an obi-wan during his exile years storyline no i agree i do want to see obi-wan and when you and mcgregor was saying this is a character i think the fans want to see more of i actually agree i think obi-wan is an interesting character and i do want to see best thing about the prequels yeah the idea that sinks some of the marvel stuff we've been talking about there's quite a few marvel things we've seen where we've said love the idea they set up at the start but as soon as they started to try and drag it back into the main Marvel Universe to make the overlap happen at the end, then it falls down. And it feels exactly the same thing. I'm going to love to see Obi-Wan 
but then they're going to force him to go back into a meeting with the greater Star Wars universe, by which we mean Vader, and it's just going to make it fall down. I don't see how it can go any other way. Desperate to love this, but I just don't know how I'm going to be able to connect with it. I would have really liked to have seen what you assume the premise to be. The idea that this guy has chosen to give up his life and hide in the desert to protect a baby from harm and he has to somehow sneak into this baby's life constantly without making it clear he's a Jedi and still save them. So if he does it wrong, if he oversteps the mark, these Inquisitors turn up and say, hey, Jedi, where's a Jedi? And that would actually be a good plot point even. If you had a couple of series, he has to somehow defeat the raiders, the creatures of the desert, protect the boy, protect the family, the uncle and the aunt, without using any of his Jedi powers. He just has to be really clever. Or he uses it behind the scenes so nobody notices. And then he chooses to overstep the mark in series two or three, which brings the climax of that series as... Right, here they come. The Jedi hunters are here now, and he now has to defeat them in such a way as leaves his identity. There's so much that could be done in that vein, but just keep it within the premise of what you've set up. And again, as you say, what we saw in the original films, he's an old guy living in the desert. Nobody knows who he is. He has successfully managed to hide himself as a Jedi in border space where nobody's particularly looking. Despite only changing his first name. He's somehow managed. <laughs> We've discussed this before, but that doesn't matter to me. If he was hiding in civilized space right in the core systems, then the name would mean something. But you go out into the Wild West on the edge of the galaxy. Hey, I'm Ben. Okay, well, you're Ben. Would you want a medal for that? You know, it's just a name. It means nothing to these moisture farmers. How big is a galaxy? Can you really send? A whole bunch of people everywhere and expect to find them? You can't. It probably is safe using the name Ben. That doesn't bother me at all. Well, we know how small and interconnected the Star Wars universe is in terms of everybody knowing everybody else. Well, it can be. But then again, I was talking to this and Chris on the Mandalorian podcast. I think you have to accept that it's space opera. If you can't buy that conceit, then don't watch this. If you are the sort of person who is saying on Star Trek... Well, that would never work. The physics of that is wrong. Do you know what? This is not the right show for you. Please turn away. So Star Wars is space opera. You have to buy into the idea that the main characters are going to be front and center. And it's the smaller, lesser players that are the ones that are going to not recognize who he is and so on. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me at all. It's part of the conceit of the show. And, and I've accepted that. But what I am going to struggle to accept is, as you say, break out of that setup and go back into forcibly re connecting with the main films no how can that possibly be good stick with the interesting premise you've got stick with the idea that you've set up six or seven different star wars shows each of them with a different genre with a different story with a different purpose really lean into that and give us this bigger universe but it, it is very much something you think you can see the producers standing behind them all going Wait a minute, no, I'm sorry, I don't understand how this is going to make $15 trillion. 
No, no, no. It's not going to make $15 trillion the way you've put it. It's too new. It's too different. It's too interesting. No, no, no. We need to go back to the tried and true. Which of the main characters have you got in there? Darth Vader. Put Darth Vader in there. We can get Hayden Christensen. And you can see all this just playing out behind the scenes. And you just want, no, stop. Allow us to have a good story for once. I don't know. I might be slagging off producers incorrectly, but I come back to, I don't see how I can like this because I think they're going to force it to be something that isn't original, isn't going to be this new, exciting thing. Yeah, I've got the same cynical outlook on what they're trying to make here as you do. I don't think their head is in the right place with it. We could be wrong. Obviously, we haven't even seen a trailer yet. We've just seen some drawings. Hayden Christensen coming back. They keep talking about that as if it's a good thing, but he sucks, right? I'm sure he's a very nice guy. In fact, I've heard that he is, but he's not good. And he's going to be in a Darth Vader suit, so maybe that will mitigate it. I just don't get what this show is going to be. And as you say, it could be about him hiding and trying to hide. And you can even have an Inquisitor turn up for that lightsaber fight if you really need one. And he has to kill an Inquisitor so that there's no trace that the Inquisitor ever made it to Tatooine. So he has to kill the Inquisitor and destroy every piece of equipment that he brought with him. That could be great. That's a great plot right there. And it, it doesn't impact at all on the wider canon because he hides i just think it's a freebie i think it's just such an obvious thing that would still be very interesting and you're going to take that and just chuck it away as if somebody had already labeled it not capable of making a trillion dollars so we can't possibly do that and you can still have vader in there interacting with the inquisitor if you really want because why not cameo fine yeah brilliant why not yeah we'll see it won't take too long for us to get more info on this but it's concerning so far let's put it that way let's move on some marvel stuff so we got some footage for and i say some very little footage for moon knight she hulk and ms marvel moon knight they're leaning into the dissociative idea and how that's connected to his powers he's living a traumatic life of self-doubt it looks very stylish based on the small amount of footage we've seen oscar isaac is obviously going to be watchable in it so based on the initial quick look at Moon Knight. I'm quite interested in what they've got to offer there. That's the one I'm looking forward to, actually. I'm quite interested in this idea of the four distinct personas, just because Oscar Isaac, if nothing else, has delivered, in the small amount we've seen, some different personas. I think he's doing a different voice. If they're not too ridiculous, that's good. And I'm much more interested in seeing that than what I'd originally looked at. When we talked about this ages ago, my concern was that if his power level is proportional to the phase of the moon, and that's the driver of the plot, then I wasn't thinking I was going to be interested in this, because at one point he's going to be a normal human. Yeah, well, okay, that could be interesting, as he has to face off against people with powers. But then he gets the full moon, and he has phenomenal cosmic power. And, oh, yeah, okay, well, what's going to stop him then? Because he just does a Thanos, clicks his fingers, and it's fine. Creating worse than the Superman problem. So I wasn't into that, and it was my big fear. But when I saw this trailer, that fear went away because, as you say, they're leaning into the personas angle, which allows you to go in any direction. So I'm very interested in the magical side of Marvel because of the characters, maybe just because of my background in fantasy more than science fiction and supers. I do have this stronger connection to fantasy. It could be as simple as that. But when we see sort of Black Knight, Moon Knight, maybe that side of Stephen Strange, maybe even going into Blade, not sure yet, still very wary of vampires because of the obvious traps. But it is an angle I think I would like to see more of. I've got it in my head 
that they'll actually have a chance of doing the what's the universe that never came off the dark universe the dark universe where they had wolfman and so on they failed attempt at creating all those i have this feeling that marvel could end up doing that universe a lot better than inside their own universe than the ones that (laughs) really dedicated their entire universe to it our sub-universe is better than your main universe (laughs) challenge level might not be too high bar might be a little bit low but even so i'm totally up for this and i say this persona's angle worked quite nicely for me don't know the character but still either way yeah what did you think of the she-hulk tease very little to go on, but what did you think? Little to go on, but whenever you show a clip of the seventies and make it funny, you're like, okay, yeah, I'm on board. Yeah, fine. <laughs> anyway, that's a great <laughs> idea. I don't know how yet they're going to solve my issue that I was bringing, which I was thinking about before when you talked about it. Again, we're coming back to this old ground. I don't know how you solve the Superman, Superwoman problem with She-Hulk, because the way it's been described to me is she has all the power and absolutely no drawbacks, apart from she is slightly underconfident and ruins it for herself, which is a realistic problem, but it's potentially one of the reasons I'm not sure I find captain marvel particularly engaging i have infinite power okay well what problem can you possibly get then as long as they can solve that as long as she hulk is not just i have infinite power and no drawbacks as long as there's something interesting about her character that she has to deal with i'm on board because they've shown they've got a sense of humor with the 70s clip they've given me that we're not going to give you something just dark and horrible here we're going to have some fun with this so i'm totally on board with that but uh, I don't know if I've seen what they're actually doing with her. Have we seen that? Not really, but from what I've read in the background, it's going to be a bit more of a legal comedy than it is a traditional superhero show. I imagine there will be an episode or two where she has to hulk out and punch something. Well, yeah, waste of time being a Hulk if you're not going to do that. Yeah, but broadly speaking, I think it'll be more focused on her legal career and they'll lean into comedy with that. Like you said about the 70s clip, that looks like an advert for the law firm and it's very tongue-in-cheek in that respect. So I can see... The comedic side of it and obviously you don't see the full she hunk but she looks comic accurate in the sense of that's what she wears in the comics sometimes and the shade of green whatever yeah cool and tatiana maslany i've not seen orphan black yet but apparently she's amazing in that so great casting choice mark ruffalo is going to be there as professor hulk you've seen him and hulked out but i think he's not hulked out in a scene as well in this brief mm. clip that we've seen he has the same problem i think actually professor hulk i don't get it like, okay well You've just taken away all the trauma and all the tragedy. What problem has he had? He's just now actually somebody who's just stupidly powerful. It's a problem for both of them in their current incarnations, potentially. So it'd be interesting to see them together. What you're going on here is a fear that you have rather than anything concrete to actually worry about because we have very little here. True, but based on Professor Hulk as we've seen him, anything interesting about the Hulk seems to have gone. So this is their opportunity to bring it back, perhaps. But we do see in another Marvel property, I'm not going to say which one, that there is some development in Banner's life that isn't quite what we might have expected from him. Is it been long enough? It's on Disney Plus, that thing. I'm not going to say what it is. If you've seen it, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, then, well, it's there somewhere. So there's definitely more to it, I think. And yeah, I'm interested in this. I like the character of She-Hulk, Jennifer Walters. So this is something I'm G'd up for, I think. And you know, there's not a lot to go on here. Won't be too long till we see a bit more about it anyway. So something to salivate on, I suppose. The last bit of footage was Ms. Marvel. So you get a bit of the Muslim background 
that is definitely going to be a big feature of it. So it's going to be the teenage girl, also a Muslim, also a superhero. And her being a fan of Captain Marvel is in there in that trailer. That is a foundational element of her character. I know they've changed her powers for the show and I don't really feel great about that. It depends how it comes off in the final product. But yeah, based on the quick clip, it seems like it's going to be playing into what the comics did with the character in terms of her setup and how she deals with all that. So I'm here for that because I loved it in the comic. Yeah, I haven't seen the comics, but it feels like they've put a lot of effort into this, setting it up, getting the right people in that can give us the right angles on the real life issues. Feels like it should be a winner. But without having read the comics, I don't even have that connection to it. So definitely a watch. Definitely an interest. Yeah, the idea of a superhero coming into the forefront while being a fan of other superheroes is an interesting idea. And it speaks to that whole legacy thing we've been talking about in various other podcasts that the MCU might be doing, passing mantles and so on. Mm. Even though Captain Marvel will still be about, but the, the whole idea that these heroes come up being inspired by the previous ones and taking their own spin on it. Mm is an interesting one, for me anyway. I don't think I'm necessarily a big issue. Part of me does wonder why there's all this run, though, on being inspired by means you have to be a copy of that hero. It does seem a bit of a shame that a lot of what we're seeing is, I am going to become my hero, rather than an identity story, which you'd assume with kids. It's about going out and becoming yourself. And I guess there's a little bit about, ah, uh, when we get to the end of it, no, it's just an influence. But a name is a big deal. And the idea that you have Iron Heart and you have a new Hawkeye and now you've got Ms. Marvel and you're thinking, well, if you're really going to take your own identity, there's part of me that just thinks, oh, I just wish they had their own name to signal that identifier. I actually quite liked something that you've said you hated, which is Titans. Not that I think it's the best thing in the universe, but I just like to see storylines where, do you know what? I'm not Robin. I'm Nightwing. And this is my proper coming of age. This is my choosing to be a hero in my own right. But the part of me that sees a lot of this Marvel stuff coming up and, you know, yes. Could they not have their own name, their own identity? Couldn't that be really part of the story? I mean, we'll see. Maybe it's a tiny thing. Maybe it'll end up being nothing. Again, we don't have a lot to go on at this point, so it's difficult to really say anything. Speaking of not a lot to go on, we have an image from Secret Invasion, which is Samuel L. Jackson with a big beard. (laughs) Just confirms that it's happening. Why? No, no, (laughs) no, let's just not. There's another skip. Can we skip it? Is there a skip button? (laughs) See, the people listening have got a skip button. The summary is that Aaron hates Secret Invasion because it's aliens impersonating people. It's not aliens. It's just impersonation stories where one character meets with another character and says something upsetting. So the the other character goes off all of, oh, how could they say that to me? And then you get the clip of the evil villain. (laughs) I've just upset the heroes by saying something nasty to them. And then the two hero characters never discuss it. They just hate each other forever and all its character development. (laughs) Oh, just feel the baggage they're now carrying. When all they had to do was say, why did you say that to me, you colossal jerk? I didn't say that to you. Oh, yeah, we just bought a shape changer, didn't we? Oh, so it wasn't you. Oh, thank God. No one has that conversation. It's just awful. It's awful. Skip it. Skip the whole thing. I just I want to see it. I don't want to see any of this mistaken identity nonsense. This was an argument I made when the Superior Spider-Man comic first came out. For those that don't know, the story in Superior Spider-Man is that Peter Parker is effectively killed and Dr. Octopus takes over his 
mind and become Spider-Man in his body, but it's Dr. Octopus. And he behaves strangely because Peter Parker is not acting like Peter Parker would normally act. He doesn't act like Peter Parker would normally talk. But nobody around him picks up on it, weirdly. And you think in the universe they live in, having his mind controlled or being possessed, essentially, would probably be one of the first things you think of. Yeah, It'd be one of your go-tos. We live in, you know, yeah, Thanos, mind control, it's just a thing. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm not interested in this whole, Rhodey has been a Skrull since Civil War or whatever. I'm not interested mm-hmm. in that plot. But I think the secret invasion thing will be in title only. I think it'll be a very different thing because the Skrulls aren't what they are in the comics. They're not villains, they're refugees. Yeah. And they work with Fury, so I think the Secret Invasion will maybe come from somewhere else okay. and be something else, but I don't know. Let's rattle through some of the other stuff, because it's just logos confirming what we already knew we were getting. Mm. Agatha House of Harkness, so we're getting an Agatha Harkness show. they got Catherine Hahn in the universe. They want to use more of our maybe dial into our history. I'm here for that. I am Groot, which is an animated Groot show, sure. Everybody loves Groot. They're doing Echo, which is a spin-off of Hawkeye, which I forgot to mention is another thing I'm watching, as are you. So I'm keen for that. That's one that is attached to something else that I've got later on the list, but we can talk about now, is the rumour that the Daredevil characters will appear in that show and spin out of it, where they'll do a soft reboot with the same actors with slightly different history that maybe alludes to some of the Netflix events but doesn't explicitly mention them. I think that's fine because I think the Daredevil that we saw in the Netflix show is far too brutal for the MCU. So I think they'll probably dilute him slightly if they bring him in. That's a shame. I really like that Netflix show, but I guess I can understand it. I mean, Daredevil doesn't have to be the same thing all the time. He gets constantly reinvented in the comics. So they just have to shift the angle ever so slightly and they don't have to compromise what he is or who he is, I don't think. No, no, I just really like that show. Yeah, me too. Well... The first season of it anyway. And the third, I suppose. Season two, not so much. But if we get to see Charlie Cox reprise that role, perhaps in Spider-Man, perhaps in this, perhaps in in a show that they'll make later. Cool. That seems to be more likely than not at this point. And Echo will be where it gets introduced. Which is kind of a shame that the big buzz around Echo is, oh, you might get to see another character that will spin out into a TV show. But what about Echo? Why should I watch that? Other than I might get to see Daredevil. Mm. I guess Hawkeye will tell us why we should watch Echo because she'll be in that show quite prominently. So, yeah, deaf superhero. She's the opposite of Daredevil in that sense. He's blind, she's deaf, and that gives her her powers. Ironheart, we've already talked about. Some young girl builds or finds armour, becomes an Iron Man successor. We don't know much about that at this point. Again, it was just a logo. Marvel Zombies is getting its own animated show. We talked about that in the What If podcast. Not really interested in that. Marvel Zombies. Based on the What If side of it, I'm not that keen. Are you interested in a full-fledged Marvel Zombies show? Me personally, no. But I acknowledge that people love their zombies, so it's almost an inevitability. Yeah. We're getting a second season of What If. We already kind of knew that, but they've explicitly confirmed it. Another thing they've said is happening is we're doing Spider-Man freshman year, which is essentially the origin story of the Tom Holland Spider-Man. I can't say I'm all that interested in it. I'm kind of tired of this perpetually pubescent Peter Parker. Just had to get that alliteration in there. Mm -hmm. I'm getting tired of that. Why does he always have to be at high school? Most of his comics, he's not at high school. He does different things. He grows up. He becomes an adult. He has adult problems. Can we see that instead of this? Do we need to see his origin story, his early days of being Spider-Man again? No, we don't. In fact, the whole point of the MCU one is we're glad we skipped that because we don't need to see that. Mm -hmm. So we're getting that again. 
I think we discussed this offline, but the freshman year I want to see is spectacular Spider-Man, first year of college, Peter Parker. Yeah, any more spectacular would have been great. That's what I want to see. I want to see progression of the character rather than just sticking him in this constant loop of beating at high school and leaving high school. Just stop it. Just give us progression. Let us see him move on. Well, he'll probably get that with Tom Holland if he's got another three films, so cool. Hopefully, yeah. Speaking of being a bit stuck in the past, we're getting a revival of the 90s X-Men cartoon. They're going to call it X-Men 97. Most of the voice cast are returning. There's other cast announced. I won't read them all out here, but that's happening. It was of its time, and it's remembered because of the theme tune, Mm -hmm. let's be honest. I don't think it's really remembered because of much else. Yes, they did adapt some of the big celebrated comic book arcs, and they did them well. The animation style was very functional rather than amazing and yeah it was a great 90s cartoon just as the spider-man cartoon in the 90s was great but we had it do we need it brought back i don't think so i don't know why it was coming back well no i understand why it's coming back because people have been teasing the x-men coming back into the mcu for ages so get that but yeah why they're specifically going back to the 90s also Bringing in X-Men these days just seems like a classic miss. I mean, X-People doesn't really have a ring to it, so I get that you can't really do it, but it feels like it's an easy thing to screw up somehow. Yeah, but it's mining that nostalgia, isn't it? And it probably will come out and be like, oh yeah, that was probably okay when I was young and watched it then. Yeah, but people are wary of that now. They want the property to come back, but they want to see it updated, which is really difficult to do. Just do another X-Men cartoon. A new one. Just do that. Not this. Even use the theme tune from the 90s. Would you be okay with a new show? Brand new show with that theme tune? Because it was a great theme tune. Let's face it. So that's about it for the Marvel announcements for Disney Plus today. There's a couple other clips that we can talk about. There is Echo. No, there isn't. There is Baymax, which is a series following on from Big Hero 6, which is a film I loved. The trailer that they released, or the teaser, looks really good. looks really charming and funny, leaning into that comedic angle that Baymax had in the Big Hero 6 film. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that. I'll definitely watch that. I think it looks great. Did you see Big Hero 6? I did. Yeah, that seems like a win, certainly. Although, by the way, you have to leave the fact that you echoed the word echo in the podcast. You can't cut that. (laughs) So yeah, Baymax, you're keen for this as well, then. Yeah, watch it. Cool. And we got a bit of a cast announcement for Willow, which is a follow-on from Willow, which I've not seen. But yeah, it's doing that but with a younger cast and this featurette I suppose has Warwick Davis just going look how young you all are I'm old they're not de-aging me I'm just old and I'm going to be doing this again so they're leaning into the yeah it's been a while I like that joke and I think given how old the audience that is my youth are now who watched Willow it's a joke we're all going to be able to connect with oh what was it 1990 hang on 1988 yeah we're all past it a bit we're all going to love that that little clip will have gone down really well I have no connection to Willow I know you do Willow's a funny creature it's one of those films that's become cult and it's not necessarily gonna potentially win loads of awards but it's one of those ones you can look back on and still enjoy i don't think there's anything in it that's broken any modern sensibilities i'm trying to remember now if they did do something with the main villain female that is the wrong move but i can't commit to that i'd have to check it but it's just one of those ones that's still cute still funny 
and everybody's got a real soft spot for it. And you can still remember lines like, I stole a baby. If you go around conventions and people are still saying, you know, it's just got this, it's just got this following. It's one of those dangerous ones of, should we really be bringing this property back? I mean, Alora Downen's grown up. Okay, what does that mean? Where's this really going to go anywhere? Is the dark magic going to come back? Where, where does this plot go? But we're all secretly going, but I want this to be great. So hopefully it's just the best. But I fear for it, actually. I really fear for these things because I remember the D&D movie, which was disastrously bad. <laughs> Remember at the start, we started out with chatting around Wheel of Time, and I said most fantasy adaptions, I know this isn't an adaption, but I think it follows the same rules, most fantasy stuff is just naff because they don't put any effort into it. They just have silly, stupid humor, daft costumes, no thought to the plot, almost as if people are supposed to just like the fantasy of it, the spectacle of it even. So if they make something that's just a bit daft, theatrically over the top getting jeremy irons or somebody equivalent it's gonna be awful and i fear that that's the direction they go so i hope they don't i hope they go wheel of time and they don't go dungeons and dragons if that is true we're going to enjoy it if they go DD, we are screwed as fans oh there's going to be so much hate on the internet it's not going to be good Okay, well, we shall find out. The last part of our Disney Plus Day lineup announcements is the Predator prequel, which is going to be called Prey. It's going to be set in the world of the Comanche Nation 300 years ago. So it's the Predator fighting against First Nations people, I guess, which is an interesting enough high-level idea, I suppose. Well, I think it comes down to, again, what effort they put into it. Because I've seen a really naff film before and i can't remember what it was where they go back to viking times and there's a big alien creature that comes to fight them all and it wasn't really that amazing if they just want you to look it's the native peoples of america fighting and you're supposed to love it just for that well that could just be really naff i'm wondering what they're selling this on if all they're selling it on is watch our film is representative okay but have you actually written a good script because I'm pretty sure that the native peoples of any part of the planet would prefer you had a good script. <laughs> I'm glad they're doing something from a different culture. Who wouldn't be? But please don't hang your film or your show just on that. You know, give me something here. Well, there's some chatter around the notion of Dan Trachtenberg, the director, didn't start this off as a Predator film. It sort of got attached to it at some later point, which always concerns me. Yeah, so, you, so you've got this great script. Put the Predator in it and we'll make it. Mm. <laughs> Something like that. But the Predator ratio of good to bad is not skewed very well either. The first one is good. The second one I don't remember, but I think it's maybe okay. The Alien versus Predator films, I like the first one. The second one is dreadful. And I don't think they really count as part of the Predator canon. Predators is good. The Predator is awful. So, I don't know. <laughs> could go either way, I suppose. You could say that about anything. could go either way. Mm. Especially with the Predator franchise. I just don't know if there's any legs to it, really. Unless you're going to bring back Arnie, which automatically makes it watchable. <laughs> which I don't think you can do here. It's 300 years ago. Yeah. I guess we'll see. It's going to be streaming on Hulu in 2022 at some point this summer. Mm. So... We'll find out. And let's move on to one of our pillars, the Marvel Universe, even though we've kind of talked a lot about the Marvel Universe, but this is specific non-Disney Plus Day-related Marvel stuff. 
We have some casting for the Halloween special for next year, Werewolf by Night. Gail, if that's how you pronounce the name, Garcia, he's going to be leading it. So it's going to be a horror situation. It's a character that's appeared in anime and stuff, so this will be the first live-action appearance of it. It's expected to begin filming in early 2022, but it's a bit of a mystery as to what the vibe will be, whether it will be super horror or whatever, but... Yeah, I'm interested in principle. Again, it's that dark universe thing you were talking about. Here's the Wolfman. The Marvel's Wolfman. Could be. But yeah, standard problems from all the rest of the chat. Still rear its head here, so yeah. But they're making it. And they're calling it MCU's first horror movies. No, they're not. They're calling Doctor Strange MCU's first horror movie. So this is further leading into the horror side of it. I suppose Blade might as well. We don't know. Up next is Marvel are definitely not recasting T'Challa. They've said they're not doing that out of respect to Chadwick Boseman. They'll find some other way of continuing the Black Panther legacy without T'Challa because of Chadwick Boseman. I take that decision. That's a good decision. But also, I don't know if I would necessarily be so averse to recasting the character necessarily because the character still has a lot to bring. And it's a shame that Chadwick Boseman died, of course, but surely there's someone that could honour the character and, and pick it up. I would say there would definitely be somebody that could have done it. And we've had one recasting in the MCU already, effectively. So we wouldn't be totally against it. It's an obvious paying of respects. It feels like respects could have been paid in other ways. It's one of the ones nobody's going to say they hate it. But I think a lot of people will be like yourself saying, but I'm slightly wistful of what could have been. So we'll see. I mean, the MCU is now so big, they've still got plenty of story, so they'll not be missing out. So it feels like parceling up this and putting it aside as a matter of respect is not going to ruin anything. Absolutely. We have some more casting. Delroy Lindo has been cast in Blade. It's unknown who's going to be playing, but one strong possibility is Jamal Afari, who in the comics is the man who raised and mentored Blade in the ways of vampire hunting when he was young. Jamal is black, but the 1998 feature adaptation of Blade starring Wesley Snipes, the character was renamed Abraham Whistler, who actually first appeared also in the 90s Spider-Man cartoon, funnily enough, but anyway. And he was played by Chris Christopherson. They've not said that's who he's playing, but that's a possibility because he's older than Mahershala Ali, so mm. possibility. So bit of speculation there. Good actor, definitely. And it's probably who it's going to be. No further comment, really. I certainly have nothing more to say on he might be playing this. I'm afraid I don't know Blade well enough to say, oh, I think it could be this character, that character, or the other. Yeah, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Fair enough. Moving on. Scarlett Johansson will be coming back to Marvel, but not in an acting capacity. She'll be coming back in a producer capacity on a non-Black Widow-related top-secret Marvel Studios project. There's some suggestions she might be producing, say, Young Avengers, which might have Florence Pugh and so on in it. We don't know. But she's going to be producing so the bad blood seems to have been smoothed over after her suing them um, <laughs> so there we go so she's going to be coming back working a bit of speculation as to what it could be and she's looking forward to continuing the collaboration she's also going to be working on the tower of terror movie at disney as well so moving into a bit of a producer role she's been around long enough to do that i guess and has enough clout and all that stuff so we don't know what it'll be but she's back and producing, so that's good. Until I know what it is, it's one of those things where yeah. I just read an article where a company says that one of their previous employees is the most amazing human on earth. Okay, well, yeah, keep that to your your back rooms there. I, I, I can't even <laughs> say, you know, you love her, great. Yeah, whatever. Next up, Bill Murray is going to be joining the Marvel Universe. 
he was interviewed by a German newspaper and he let slip the words, you know, recently I made a Marvel movie. (laughs) The context was apparently a question about working with directors multiple times, given that Murray was promoting his current ninth collaboration with Wes Anderson, the French Dispatch. Murray was using said Marvel movie to explain why he favours certain directors. Regarding the Marvel project, he said, I got to know the director and really liked him very much. He was funny, humble, everything you want from a director. He went on to explain, and with the cheerleader story Bring It On, he made a movie years ago, which I think is damn good. So I agreed. Bring It On was directed by Peyton Reed, whose last three projects happened to be Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and the upcoming Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which is set for 2023. So it seems that Bill Murray will be in Quantumania, doing something we don't know. Probably doing something very Bill Murray. Well, yeah, it's the right film for a comedy actor. Give me a slightly comedic hero in a comedic film and put him up against another known very good comedy person. And he said, I've at least tried out what it's like to shoot a Marvel movie, but I don't think I need that experience a second time. And to come back to your previous question, I've mostly had a pretty good knack for avoiding the nasties of the industry. Fortunately, most good artists are also good people. At least that's how I experience it with my friends. Mm -hmm. So Bill Murray will be appearing one time and one time only, probably. As the newspaper salesman. Who knows? Could be anything. So Bill Murray, like Bill Murray, cool. It'll be fun, I suppose. Following that, Michael Keaton is going to be reprising his role as Vulture for a mystery Marvel project. He hasn't said what one it is, but he said that he's was filming new scenes as the Vulture for something, whether that be Morbius or Spider-Man or anything. And he seemed to get confused over whether he was the first actor to do both Marvel and DC, which he's not. He didn't realise that Ryan Reynolds beat him to it. Fair enough. I don't know whether I should be concerned that when they tried to explain the plot to him, he got really confused, or whether it was just they were rubbish at explaining things. So I think I'll just leave it where it is and say, I am glad to see his version of Ultra coming back. And it was great. Somewhere, at some point, doing something. Yeah. He was great out of costume as a character. And we've always said villains are something that are really hard to do and generally our villains don't really live up to our expectations the vulture for me was a great villain he was he's one of the best coming back to echo appropriately to continue that joke that thank i've left him thank you for getting that in. <laughs> the head writer for the echo marvel studios series on disney plus may have accidentally teased daredevil and kingpin's return to the mcu a screenshot was posted on an instagram story from the mcu fandom instagram account the caption read i can't wait for echo and tagged the instagram accounts for Alakwa Cox and Marion Dare. This is likely how Dare was made aware of the post since she would have received a notification that her username was tagged. Possibly the writer wanted to share a post from an enthusiastic fan that was excited about the Echo series confirmation without considering the implications of Daredevil and Kingpin appearing in it. Basically, the picture was of the Echo logo and it had Vincent D'Onofrio, Charlie Cox and Echo on it. And it sparked this suggestion that they're bringing Fisk back as well, which obviously we'd all love. And we don't know who bought the building, the former Avengers Tower building. It could be him. Might as well be. Yeah, why not? Happy to see him involved again. Certainly liked everything about the Daredevil show, including him. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. Because there's three major candidates for who bought Avengers Tower at this point. One of them is Fisk, as of recently, I suppose. Another one's a Fantastic Four. And another one is Norman Osborn, which it probably won't be since we're seeing... Alt-universe Norman Osborn 
It could also be someone like Doctor Doom or whatever. We will find out who bought that building and it will be somebody. Well, of course, it'll be somebody because somebody bought it. But it will be somebody significant to the ongoing world building that they're doing. Yeah, and there's other big corporations in the Marvel back history, so they could even bring something new in. Yeah, we'll see. Watch this space. What may be revealed in Hawkeye, which I am watching, of course, and loving so far based on the two episodes at the time of recording. Up next, a bit of a rumour. There's a rumour that Jim Carrey has been cast as Modoc, mm-hmm. who is a very strange character. And there's a Modoc animated series, which I'll never watch. Modoc, by the way, is an acronym. It stands for Mental Organism Designed Only for Killing. Right. Now bring in Peter Parker right freaking now. Get them laughing. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. I just don't get how this character can possibly be in this universe at all. Unless it's Guardians, because Guardians can do whatever they damn well please. But if there's anybody that could play Modoc, Jim Carrey is the right one. Yeah. So, fair enough. Patton Oswald in the animated one. Yeah, but it's the animated one. He didn't have to be on screen. Whereas I could sort of almost imagine Jim Carrey doing it on screen. I don't know how. But I would say if there's anybody that could do it, it's him. Definitely. And the May debut is early She-Hulk. If it is true, Modoc is going to be in a lot of things. Mm. But we'll see. It's just a rumour. I don't really like to bring in rumours, even though I constantly do it. But some of them are worth talking about. Let's move on to DC. We only have one thing for DC. J.K. Simmons confirms that he's in it. So his version of Jim Gordon, or a slightly different version of Jim Gordon, played by him, is going to be in this film. Starts filming in Glasgow in January. So... It's a possible continuation of the Affleck verse. Does that mean we're going to get Ben Affleck inspiring Batgirl or training Batgirl or whatever? I don't know. But I'm interested in this project. I like the actor they've cast as Batgirl. I like the idea. So I'm keen for that. And J.K. Simmons is Jim Gordon. Cool. We didn't see much of him in either version of Justice League, but it's J.K. Simmons. I've put in a heading for Star Wars this time because there's a, a little bit of stuff we can talk about nothing for the cw this month they're being very quiet they're just kicking about they're just doing stuff their shows are on there's nothing to really say they're just being too beautiful they just need a moment to be that beautiful that's all just bask in the beauty of the cw but there's no substance to talk about so we're not going to oh there's something that could be clipped badly (laughs) if you you ever mind moving on The first bit of Star Wars news is that the Rogue Squadron movie that was supposed to be directed by Patty Jenkins has been delayed. They haven't given it a reason, but they took it off the production schedule. Creative differences are suggested, which seems to be a common thing in Star Wars movie land, with Kathleen Kennedy telling people, you can't make the film that you're known for making. We're going to get someone else to do it, or we're just not going to make it at all. I've got a funny feeling this will never happen based on this. And it's very weird how unjoined up the Star Wars universe is at the moment because the TV stuff is thriving, where the films, they just can't get anything off the ground. Mm. Nothing is happening in that respect. They just don't know what there's, what's going on there. Whereas John Favreau is running the TV side of things and there's projects coming out left, right and centre. But with this, it's been delayed and it was weird because when they announced it, it's, my dad used to be a fighter pilot and I want to make the best fighter pilot movie ever made and it's going to be a star wars one and the idea of squadron of x-wings or whatever doing stuff i like the idea i can't imagine this delay is gonna end well for it i think the delay will turn into a cancellation or we're going to make it with ron howard instead of patty jenkins 
Well, if they've got other cancellations under their belt already as well, then it isn't looking good. Yeah, I think the scuttlebutt is that Kathleen Kennedy needs to go because she just alienates directors that want to do something and make something far more generic or commission something far more generic. I don't really know inside or out, and I don't want to get into a mudslinging match with Kathleen Kennedy because she obviously listens to this. No, there's a lot of hate out there already. I'm just reporting back on what's been said. And the rumour is that Ryan Johnson's trilogy has been shelved as well. Obviously, the Game of Thrones guys, their trilogy is not happening anymore. So there just seems to be a lot of what we're not making in Star Wars movies. That's a bit of a shame, actually, because I'm on record as not liking Ryan Johnson's Star Wars film at all. But one of my points was that what he wanted to do, I would have loved if he got to make his own standalone stuff. I think I would have really enjoyed it. I didn't like anything he did by taking over somebody else's work. That was a bad idea. But I would have quite liked to have seen him do his own stuff. But now it seems like you're saying that the rumor is that the fact that he wants to do his own stuff is what's being held against him. So <laughs> crazy. We can't have creativity and originality in this universe. Go away. Yeah. says Kathleen Kennedy, whereas John Favreau says, creativity and originality, come here. It's not going to be for everybody, but we'll make it anyway. Yeah. Matt Smith spoke a little bit about his role in Rise of Skywalker. He didn't really say what it was, but he said they were close to him being in it and it just never happened. I think the thing they were thinking of me for, eventually the part became obsolete and they didn't need it, so I never got to be in Star Wars. But he did say it was going to be a, a big deal and represent a big shift in the history of the Star Wars franchise. So he was going to be playing someone historically significant the rumor at the time was he was going to be a young emperor or something like that but maybe it'd have been like darth plagueis or something who knows but he he spoke about it maybe they were going to make these really good films and have him in it as being something good and they thought nah that's not good nah we can't have anything good in star wars movies i don't really want to talk about rise of skywalker again but it is not good okay let's move on we have some casting for ahsoka natasha lou bordizo if that's how you pronounce her name, has been cast as the lead opposite Rosario Dawson in the Disney Plus limited series Star Wars Ahsoka. Spin-off from The Mandalorian, obviously. A strong rumour, perhaps confirmed, is that she'll be taking on the character of Sabine, who was in Rebels, a show that we both really enjoyed and a character that we both really like. So more and more, this show is starting to sound like Rebels 2.0, where it picks up the story of trying to find Ezra and things like that. So I'm keen for that. And we might hear casting of other Rebels alumni showing up in this show we might get Hera turn up in the show we might get Kanan anybody that survived no Kanan died didn't he Mm, he could be in a flashback whatever anybody that survived the show could appear in this we could get Rex Tamara Morrison again (laughs) he's not busy he's doing Boba Fett he might as well play Captain Rex at the same time why not who cares I'll give this a go I did watch the scenes that Ahsoka appeared in in that episode of The Mandalorian she was in. I wasn't massively keen on her version on this. I'm hoping the tone will be very different, in which case her more bubbly personality might come through. That's what I want to see. If you left it with sort of Rebels 2.0, I would be on board for that. I think I don't know the actress well enough to comment on Neither do I. Yeah. Thing, but the character is something I would totally be up for. So It's interesting that Tia Sarkar wasn't considered. Maybe she was. She's also a physical actor as well as a voice actor. So she could have done it. I guess, but she's not. Maybe she didn't want to. Anyway, back to Kathleen Kennedy. She confirms that there might be plans for the Star Wars sequel trilogy characters like Rey and so on. They might do a Finn TV show. They might do various things. They haven't said what these plans will be, but they said, we have plans for these sequel trilogy characters. Are you interested in seeing these characters come back in any fashion? 
I'd certainly am. I think there's a lot more they could do with them than those films allowed. I'd be certainly interested in seeing them doing something more interesting than what they were given already. So, yeah, second chance. Who gets a second chance these days? Yeah, but they have to have an idea. And it doesn't sound like they have one at this point. They've just said, yeah, we're not rolling it out. We'll, we'll maybe do it. Or we'll commission it, hire a director as a vision, and then fire them, and then we won't make it. Mm. Which seems to be the way it goes now. Mm. So that's us for Star Wars. Let's get out of the Star Wars universe and just move to some general stuff. Ridley Scott talked to the BBC, actually. He mentioned that they are plotting a 10-episode Blade Runner series. They've already written the pilot and the show Bible and presenting it as a TV show the first 10 hours. They're also doing that with Alien. He's written a pilot and a Bible of 8 to 10 episodes of that show as well he also said he hates comic book movies and he criticized millennials for never looking up from their phones long enough to watch good films and stuff like that so he's joining the litany of prestige directors that are just criticizing stuff that i like but whatever he's allowed his opinion he's an old man who can shake his fist at as many clouds as he likes as far as i'm concerned doesn't really affect me. There's no way that you want to do comic book movies, but yeah, taking some old cult sci-fi movies, totally different. Yeah, oh yeah. Different though, because he made them. I guess you don't have to like the artist to like their work. Yeah. Blade Runner's an interesting one though, because it's a series of films that aren't that popular, enjoy cult status, but never make any money. Mm. But they just keep doing it. As they keep doing it, they've done variations of it. There's the anime that's on Netflix, I think. There's the two films... I really like 2049, actually. I thought that was really good. I'm lukewarm in the first Blade Runner film, though. I, I like it, but I'm not massive on it. There's a big push on this everywhere, though, and I didn't realise how big it was, because I've come at this from a different angle. There's actually a Blade Runner role-playing game coming out soon. Okay. It wasn't until you started then talking about what else is coming out that I realised, ooh, the marketing teams have just pushed this in all direction at once to make it massive. It makes sense as a role-playing game, though, because it is an immersive, built-out universe, or it can be. Yes, definitely. And the tricky problem with it being a single-character show as well that only hunts down one particular target has also been tackled and solved apparently in the role-playing game as well as so it will actually stand a chance of being a good group story so if they've put enough thought into some of the other properties like the tv show as they appear to have done for the role-playing game then it will be more than people just capitalizing on the name so so far reasonably hopeful no idea about Alien, but Alien has also had a reasonably popular role-playing game pushed out in the last little while. So is it again something where people have sat down and thought, right, let's actually put some thought into this? Could be. Hmm. I'm currently hopeful. We'll see. Yeah, cool. That's your perspective of role-playing games, so fine. Yeah. yeah by the way, we'll if you want to get more RPGs into this, I'm here for you. But, uh... <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's move on. Apparently Vin Diesel and The Rock might be settling their differences, surprising no one. But Vin Diesel put up an quote-unquote emotional Instagram post where he said, My little brother Dwayne, the time has come. The world awaits the finale of Fast 10. As you know, my children refer to you as Uncle Dwayne in my house. There is not a holiday that goes by that they do not send well wishes. But the time has come legacy awaits and he accompanied that with a photoshopped picture where he made himself look bigger than the rock i don't think i care do i (laughs) I I tell me that i do no i don't think you care i don't think i care but it's just one of those things it seems like it's this pathetic rivalry that's sprung up 
over Fast and Furious movies. Is it a marketing ploy, or is it real? I think it's a stunt. I really think it's a stunt, although it does seem like there was some needling between them yeah. on one of them. I don't know which one. It might be in the eighth one, but they share scenes together, but they don't share scenes together. Yeah. So they filmed Vin's parts, and then they filmed The Rock's parts, and then stitched them together in the edit so that they weren't in the same room together. So somebody stole somebody else's donut, and it's become bigger than it is just for the purposes <laughs> of the marketing team making even more money. Yeah. And then there's all this bad blood because The Rock went and did Hobbs and Shaw, which is a spin-off of Fast and Furious, and then accused him of breaking up the family or some nonsense like that. Yeah, I do think it's a big marketing ploy so that they can make a big song and dance about The Rock returning triumphantly for Fast 10. We've settled our differences. The integrity of the franchise was more important. It's all about us. Yeah, who cares? But I think it was always coming that The Rock would return to it for the end because that's just how these things play out, but... It seems kind of pathetic, really. Can't end, can it? Yeah, why not? Fast and Furious 54, isn't that in the making? Well, the Fast Saga can end. It doesn't mean there won't be a billion spin-offs. Including, as you laughed at in a previous podcast, untitled female-led Fast and Furious movie. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Or whatever it was. I actually listed that as a Wikipedia. You don't care about the Vin Diesel and The Rock feuding or settling a feud? No. Skip it. Cool. We have some more casting for Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer film. Of course, Kelly and Murphy was cast as Robert Oppenheimer previously. Emily Blunt is in talks to join the cast as well. But Matt Damon and Robert Downey Jr. have been cast in unknown roles at this point, but they're going to be in it. So Christopher Nolan making a film about Robert Oppenheimer. If you like Christopher Nolan and you like the idea of him telling a story about Robert Oppenheimer. The story is for you. It's got other good actors in it. I would be interested to know how they're going to turn it into a film. It's one of those ones where you know Oppenheimer for the really famous thing he did and for the situations that he was then put in and so on. But if they're going to tell me about his traumatic childhood and his first romantic breakup and so on, I'm thinking, oh, does this really lead into the whole nuclear science bit? Did that really inform his decisions later in life, that when his first romance really controlled whether he would or would not make a nuclear weapon? I, I don't know. I'd have to look and see if he's got it. Maybe I'm misjudging him. He's got one of the most interesting lives there ever was. But more interesting to me is, will they give us the truth behind the big quote, or will they just lean into it because that's what we're expecting to hear? That's what I want to know. My experience of Nolan as a filmmaker is he's more intellectual rather than emotional, which is a big problem I had with Tenet. I couldn't relate to any of the characters on an emotional level, which just made it very difficult to identify with. And I find that in a lot of his films as well. I find that he spends a lot of time telling me stuff, but not telling me why I should care about that stuff. So that's a problem I have with Nolan as a filmmaker. Obviously, his films are very well made. He knows what he's doing. He has great ideas, all that stuff. And his version of Oppenheimer will probably be interesting. I suspect it won't be told in a linear order because that's not his style. Mm. He tends to mess with time in his films in different ways. So it will jump around, I imagine. But who knows? But good cast. I think that's what I take away from this. Next up, we have Chris Pratt, who's apparently the only voice actor in the world now is going to be voicing the cat Garfield in a new animated movie after his shock casting as Mario, of course. He's doing this now. He's not a bad voice actor. He was good in Onward. He was good in the Lego movie. He's done other voice work. He's now voicing Garfield, which, okay, we're doing Garfield again, and instead of Bill Murray, it's going to be Chris Pratt. Bye. Sure, why not? It's a weird one seeing 
Garfield as purely for kids rather than some of the more cynical jokes that I, I really liked. But Look up the comic strip online, Garfield minus Garfield, which is just John talking to a cat that's not there. Mm. It's kind of tragic and morbid, yeah. but it's really funny. <laughs> you get the feeling that's not the way they're going with this one. No, John is just insane and Garfield's a ghost that he talks to. He's voiced by Chris Pratt for some reason. <laughs> that would be a bit dark. <laughs> We're kind of back to Star Wars here, kind of. Daisy Ridley is going to be starring in a futuristic thriller called Mindfall. It takes place in near-future London, where the most sought-after drug on the black market is memories, physically removed from one person's brain and implanted into another's using a new illegal technology. Top trafficker Ardis Vernado Ridley, Daisy Ridley, removes reminiscences from those looking for a quick buck and then resells them to clients who pay top dollar for these mems that bind to their subconscious, effectively becoming indistinguishable from their natural memories. Meanwhile, she battles her own addiction to the mems, often struggling to distinguish between the life she's lived and the memories she's implanted. So when she's accused of murdering one of her clients, Ardis' instinct is to doubt her own mind. She decides to solve the crime herself, hoping to clear her name, but questioning everything she's ever thought to be real. And as she pulls back the layer, she realises there's every reason to do so. Sounds like an interesting idea. We had Reminiscence out this year, which is a similar-ish concept, although it wasn't very good. So this could be just a better version of this concept or a worse version of this concept. We don't know at this point. But conceptually, it sounds kind of interesting commentary on the facebook lifestyle of the modern world or just a cheap trick the metaverse of course as it's going to be yeah seems all right daisy ridley's good my issues with the star wars sequels aren't anything really to do with her next up amazon are going to be making a tv show out of mass effect the popular video game series that i absolutely love although i find myself lukewarm on this idea because the whole idea of mass effect is player choice which includes how your character looks and even their gender and the choices they make throughout. So watching that play out potentially in a linear fashion with the trappings of that universe, is it really going to be that interesting? What's the story going to be? Or is there a way they can play with how the game does it with it perhaps being a bit of an anthology with people telling different stories about Commander Shepard and you sort of have every episode Commander Shepard is played by a different actor doing something different and it's a bit of a legendary hero type situation where the truth has been lost over time. I actually think that would be a really good idea now that I've said that as an adaptation of that concept, but I don't think it will be that. I don't trust this to not just be a big action film. Series. Series, sorry. I don't trust it not to just be a big action thing and that's all they sell. It's the same thing with the fantasy stuff. I've said people don't adapt it well. They just make it into a spectacle and assume that that's all we ever wanted out of our fantasy and science fiction without trying to put any effort into why people do like this stuff. So if they make something that is clever science fiction... It could be the best thing you've ever seen. Anything along the lines you've just said, numerous other directions, whatever, if they actually put some thought into it, great. But I fear they're not. I fear they will just give you an action spectacle and just demand that you love it for that. And we might just turn away. Have you any connection to the Mass Effect games? Have you ever played them or ever watched anybody play them? No, actually, it's not one I've connected to. No. I have this general fear. I don't have this fear because it's Mass Effect. I have this fear generally because of fancy and science fiction is generally treated like just pulp nonsense. I find it quite insulting. So it's just a general fear. I really hope that this, they got somebody in who, who puts in the effort, who really thinks about it, who takes you through some of the experiences you've had in the game and makes a unique film out of it. But We'll see. I'm not hugely optimistic based on this. If they do 
come out and be like, the idea that I just talked about, this anthology with different actors playing Commander Shepard, with perhaps the same actors playing the sporting characters, I'd be on board with that. I'd be like, yeah, cool. It's going to be, what is the real story here? And that can be the approach. We're looking back a thousand years in the future to this event in the past, and we're going to see it from different angles. And through history, it's been told in different ways, and people perceive the hero differently. No one even knows if it was a man or a woman or anything else. That would be different, at the very least. Next up, we have an announcement about Power Rangers. So there's been chat about they're going to do a bit of a connected reboot universe for a while, spearheaded by director Jonathan Entwistle. This project has landed at Netflix, so they're going to be making a bunch of stuff in the Power Rangers universe. They've said that the new universe will be a whole world approach. It's not just one show. It's shows followed by films, some kids programming. So they're basically going to be mining the Power Rangers concept from different angles and letting us see what it can do. And I'm very excited for this. Very, very excited about this because I still love Power Rangers and really want to see it updated in such a way. I really like the 2017 film. I think it was on something. Unfortunately, it just had no impact, so it didn't go anywhere. But I'm interested in this. Definitely. Well, this is all yours. You're going to have to sell this yourself, my friend. Well, I don't know if I'll be able to sell it to you because you didn't grow up watching it. It's a superhero team of people in colourful costumes fighting monsters. Yep, yep. And they're going to try and make something out of this. You've just summarised my entire knowledge of Power Rangers. So. I mean, I could go into more detail if you want, but it might take hours. Mm. But yes, suffice to say, I have a strong connection to Power Rangers. And the most popular podcast on Neil Before Pod is me, Angus and Natalie discussing episodes of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. It remains our most downloaded episode, so there will have to be some coverage of these things in various ways as it comes out, because it's what the people want, apparently. It's what I want. Okay, next up, we have Taika Waititi is going to be directing and co-writing a feature adaptation of The Inkal, the seminal 1970s comic book creation from Alejandro Jodorowsky and the late artist Mobius. YTE is teaming with his What We Do in the Shadows and Flight of the Concords collaborator Jermaine Clement, as well as Peter Warren, to pen the script. The Enkel centres on intergalactic private eye John DeFool, who gets caught up in a grand space opera after happening upon a mystical artifact called the Enkel. Along with a ragtag crew, DeFool must go on a journey to save the universe. Echoes of this can be seen in films such as Blade Runner, The Fifth Element, and The Matrix. They're really hitting all the buzzwords here, aren't they? Space opera, mystical artifact, ragtag crew, journey to save the universe. It's actually quite a generic description, really. But I suppose it's the original generic description, as in the concept itself. Exactly. The whole joke about kids coming out of the Lord of the Rings saying, God, it's just every fantasy film I've ever seen before. (laughs) So, yes, if this is the source, it might be interesting to see the source material. Yeah, it's been said, we already have something very substantial and it's a complicated book. It's vast, so fine. It also launches something called the Jodoverse, which includes titles such as the Meta Barons and Megalex, whatever those are. YT could conceivably have a hand guiding the Jodoverse in both film and television. Everybody's got to have a verse now. Yeah, it's not landed anywhere yet, it's just that Taika Waititi wants to make it. So if he's making it, it'll get sold somewhere. So that's that. Are you interested or do you need more? I think I'd trust him to give it a shot if it came up. I might be able to just do it purely on his name. Sure. But if he wasn't in there, what you've just described wouldn't have sold it to me because I, I don't know what it is that's informed all these other shows. It might be just a throwaway sentence 
that somebody stole and turned into later on. I would need more, but yeah, I trust him enough. Yeah, I need a bit more as well, but him being attached to it certainly interests me. Another bit of casting, Gal Gadot has found her next project that is sure to be the fairest of them all according to Deadline. <laughs> She's in final negotiations to play the evil queen in Disney's live-action adaptation of Snow White, the one that started it off with the studio's legendary slate of animated adventures. Rachel Zegler is set to play the titular character with Mark Webb directing. So it's another live-action adaptation of an animated film and Gal Gadot's going to be the evil queen. Fine. I'm sure she'll do a good job. I'm just a bit fed up of these live-action remakes of animated movies from Disney because they're also dull and usually worse than the previous one. The Lion King wasn't really up to much. The Jungle Book I quite liked, but I wasn't keen on Aladdin either. So this is probably going to go the same way. I won't watch it unless you tell me it's a good thing having already seen it. So okay. That about sums up everything, I suppose. (laughs) Next up, we have another adaptation. Uh, Philip K. Dick property is getting another adaptation. Or another Philip K. Dick property is getting an adaptation. Francis Lawrence, who did the Hunger Games franchise, is taking on another dystopian text, Vulcan's Hammer, directing and producing the movie. So the novel is set following a devastating world war as the 70 nations of Earth form the Unity Party and cede global governance to the Vulcan AI system, which algorithmically dictates policies for unity to carry out. But after Vulcan is attacked and a special agent is murdered, a description of the story explains, Unity director William Barris is called to unravel the mystery to find out who or what wants to destroy the system he has dedicated his life to. Cynical Philip K. Dick, the future's screwed stuff. Yeah, I didn't realise until you said it, but did they steal the inspiration for this for how they adapted Asimov's work when Will Smith did it? Maybe. What did, I can't remember what did Will Smith do, good grief. I, Robot. Because that, that sounds disturbing in like the plot to iRobot. They took Asimov stuff and they didn't make any of the Asimov stories into iRobot. They just took his influences and created another film. Now I'm thinking they took Asimov's influence and put it onto an idea by Philip K. Dick. Because I'm thinking, well, so that's disappointing. But maybe what this means is if people thought iRobot wasn't very good, maybe they can watch this Philip K. Dick thing and you'll say, oh, well, wow, that's how it should have been done. So it could be. I actually quite liked iRobot, but. I understand it was not well received by the world. So check out this thing instead. And it could be more science fiction rather than action based. Yeah, Mark Webb is good at what he does. He does the Spider Man films that everybody hates except me and other stuff. So we'll see how it goes. It's standard fare for Phil K. Dick, isn't it? He believed that the future was humped or he feared that the future was humped. Yeah. And- was kind of largely right, I suppose. People are very interested in the problems of AI. I mean, we've seen a lot of investigations into it, everything to and from the Terminator in either direction. is everything that even mainstream knows on this subject. But that's not to say somebody can't take something that's been done well and just do it better. And I've not read the source material, so maybe it is the seminal work on this particular subject. And it seems clear that the notion will be should this ai be brought down or is it beneficial for society or whatever else the whole algorithm thing everything we type into google gets stored in a database somewhere that's marked against our names that kind of thing i mean when youtube algorithm takes over the universe we'll know what to do exactly yeah our last item we have here is another sci-fi franchise this is the one that Zack Snyder calls his Star Wars, or what he wants to be his Star Wars. It's called Rebel Moon, and he's cast Sophia Boutella in 
guess the lead, based on a story by Snyder and other people. We talked about it in a previous podcast. Well, we didn't, but I did with someone else. The film is set in a peaceful colony on the edge of the galaxy that finds itself threatened by the armies of the tyrannical regent Balisarius. They dispatch a young woman with a mysterious past to seek out warriors from neighbouring planets to help them take a stand against the tyrant. I'm guessing that young woman will be Sophia Batella. And that's basically it. It sounds very Star Wars-y. I don't quite know what's unique about this that makes me want to watch it. At the moment, I'm just saying, I've seen this. I'm not interested. And I appreciate the problem with the teasers like this, because you might find that when the people who put this together, Snyder himself, oh yeah, but you're not seeing all the really good stuff. And I would say fair enough. But in that case, get your marketing teams away from it, because they're telling me all the boring stuff at the moment. Based on your previous exposure to Zack Snyder stuff, would you watch this? Well, this is the problem. At the moment, I don't think his name alone is going to make me watch it. I actually need to see more of the plot. Name some more Snyder stuff than I'm thinking of, though, because I'm, I'm struggling. All I can think of is the obvious one that we've just talked about recently. Batman v Superman, Man of Steel, yeah. the Snyder Cut. Where can I get more than that? I can't think of other stuff. You won't have seen this, but he did Army of the Dead on Netflix, which is a zombie film. I thought it was atrocious. Mm. He did the remake of Dawn of the Dead, which I don't think you'll have seen as well, because you said you've never really seen a zombie thing, or you've not seen many zombie things. Watchmen? Have you seen Watchmen? No, I didn't see it, actually, and that is one I've read. Maybe I should try that. His version is very good. I really like Snyder's Watchmen. The thing about Snyder is his visual touch is stunning. So this will look great, even if it's unwatchably bad. But it will look stunning. 300? Have you seen 300? He did that. Yes, okay. I did get something out of the 300. It's not quite enough to pull me in on his name alone. I still want to know why this is different to random sci-fi action thriller stuff I've seen before. Yeah, it kind of sounds like a bit of a Star Wars clone at this point, doesn't it? There was chat about it perhaps starting life as a Star Wars film that he was going to make, and then he evolved it into this. So it's almost good to find and replace for the word Emperor and change it to tyrant or what you know it's just the that could be it it could just be the bare minimum but it depends on how his approach to world building but i think his plan is to make this a big expansive universe with loads of spin-offs and whatever settle down zach just make one thing and see if it works (laughs) everybody wants a verse they can't get away yeah everybody wants their own universe yeah but fair enough but that was our last thing unless you notice something in the world of news or trailers that you want to talk about (laughs) (laughs) No, your collection of news has vastly outnumbered my knowledge of news. Fair enough. That's why I do the prep. Cool. Okay, well, thank you, Aaron, for joining for the November Roundup. We have one more of the year, but thanks for joining for the penultimate Roundup of the year to talk about some of this stuff. That's good. That was our November discussion. I would like to thank YouTuber Neil Stenson for the supplied music. Thanks to Chris for the banner artwork. As always, his photoshopping is above reproach. Definitely. If you enjoyed what you heard here, then please do subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any major podcasting app. I don't know how full of hate you are, so I'm going to ask you how many stars would we like? You have to stop this, by the way, because I was getting all nice and comfy and happy with what we chatted. And you're just desperately trying to bring out the rage. It's not good for me. It's not good for my mental health. Do you know what? I think they should give us four stars for this. Four stars? I think it's just about a four-star podcast. Maybe that, how about that? Is that the right number? Is that what you wanted? Well, it's a high number, so we'd take four stars. I would also take five. That would be our favourite number, but four would be accepted. See, and leave a comment too. Yeah, what if somebody wanted to give us a 3.5 star rating? What would you think about that? Then that would be their choice. Okay. And if they left a comment saying, here's why I gave you a 3.5 star, here's room for improvement, I would accept that. Oh, okay. 
I mean, I would have no choice but to accept it because we're on a podcasting platform that allows ratings. So we have to accept any rating that we're given. We can't censor them. But anyway, five stars, please. And a comment if you don't mind. If you want to discuss anything we discussed here or anything else, really, you can catch us on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog or leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, we hope you'll join us on the next Neil Before Pod. (laughs) 